One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. England and Samoa had been fierce rivals in the world of rugby for decades. They had met numerous times in the past, and it was always a match full of excitement. Whenever these two teams faced each other, fans could expect a great show. But this was different. This was the Rugby World Cup. The stakes were high, higher than ever. England and Samoa were both determined to come out on top, and the atmosphere around the stadium was electric. The match kicked off with England taking an early lead. They dominated in the first half with a powerful running game and tactical kicking. Samoa, however, refused to give in. They continued to fight and eventually managed to force their way into England's half. I've just figured out what you're doing. What am I doing? Have you told an AI to tell a story of this match? I have, indeed. Oh my god. So I went, I found an AI story machine thing and I asked it to tell me what would happen when England played Samoa in the 2007 Rugby World Cup. Okay. As though it was in the future. Yes. And it went with that. Okay, it's doing well. With the second half underway, Samoa's forwards began to gain momentum. Their powerful running game finally began to have an effect, and they started to gain ground. The crowd was in a frenzy, cheering on both teams as they pushed each other to the limit. The match went to the wire, with England finally emerging victorious. The final score was... Okay, bear in mind I asked it to the game from the 2007 Rugby World Cup. Yes. Right? England 25, Samoa 21. Hmm. Which, okay, here's the thing. Reading that before I watched the game back was a bit like, oh, that's not right. Yeah. But there was a point in this game of 10 minutes to go when it was England 26, Samoa 22. They were one point off on either team. Oh, yeah, I guess so. But also that's a load of bollocks. That's true. That's true. It was a truly epic encounter and fans of both teams celebrated their team's performance long into the night. I really wish that AI could have commentated on this game. It seems really passionate and enthusiastic. Yeah, really into the game. Yeah. And actually far, far less annoying and speculative yes. than the actual commentary we had. Yes, which we'll get into. But fair play, that AI has not nailed it. Yeah. But I, I like that as an idea that we're doing that. Maybe that's something we'll employ again in well, future and yeah, see well, if it can get one accurate one day. <laughs> We'll have a look. It's not quite Dolly the Sheep order. Not Dolly the Sheep, she got cloned. Yeah, uh, there's two of her. It was, there was Paul the Octopus. And then Kevin was, the Tipster. Kevin the Tipster. was the sheep that they employed on the 2011 World Cup. Did but not go as the well. The thing with, the thing, because Paul the Octopus was, that was an actual thing, wasn't it? Yeah. That seemingly had psychic powers was the conspiracy. But Kevin the Tipster was just a sheep that two blokes from New Zealand just went, all right, who do you think's going to win? What, France v. Tonga? Yeah, I reckon France will win this. All right, just send him to the French one then. You know, give yeah. him food right under the, the France one. And he'll walk in that direction and that's what we'll film. Did it we wasn't talk quite much the same. about Kevin the Tips on the 2011 series? I don't series. remember. No. He got all but two games correct. 
the two games bad. he got wrong were France versus Tonga and France versus Wales, the semi-final. Right. He tipped Wales in the semi. Oh. And I remember watching that in the week and going like, fuck yeah, we're going to do it. Kevin! Kevin's got our backs. Kevin is completely on it. Yeah. Kevin's obviously a big, well-known rugby pundit in these parts. <laughs> yes. Actually and going to be on ITV's coverage this year. Yeah, Cup, I, I should hope so, yeah. given the people they employ in, at the moment. In the studio. They yeah. want the biggest names possible. So they've gone for Delalio. Clive yeah. Woodward, Jason Robinson. Probably still Gareth Thomas for some reason. Jamie Robinson. Yeah. Um, they've gone for, uh, what's his name? The French Gamar from the mid-noughties. Julien Dupuis. Julien Dupuis. Uh, you know, that's what they've gone for. They just want the biggest names in the game. They've got Pat Leach. Pat Leach. Um, who else? Uh, Dan Bibby. Dan, Dan Bibby's Bibby. going to be on it, yeah. making his own jam. Yeah. Um, Is that what he does now? He looks like it. <laughs> He's an educated guest. He just looks like he makes his own jam. Yeah. Who else is going to be on? Kevin the Tipster. Kevin the Tipster, obviously. Obviously, I was up to him as the biggest pundit. Yeah, Kevin the Tipster. Anyone else? No. No, Simon needs to be. He's actually quitting his job with Ireland. Oh, is he? To work there. Yeah. Yeah. Alan Jones and Justin Tipperick. Yeah, that's why they're retired. That's why they're retired. To go on there. Mm. Heard the page really good. Yeah. They've they've made, made some budget cuts by employing a sheep who doesn't want money. Andrew Coe. Okay. Uh, he qualified for the punditry on his yeah. own because Canada couldn't. Yeah, that's the list. That's but the yeah, list. anyway, the reason why Just I bring names. up him being such a well-known pundit is because so are you. And I want to know, well, for the, the sake of this podcast, who are you? I'm Will Owen. Whoa! <laughs> that You're right. That is a really good rugby person who knows what they're on about. And I, I on the other hand, am a bit of an idiot... And I'm Robbie Osquidgel, if you want to call me. <laughs> the thing is, there are people who listen to this who genuinely can't tell their voices Yeah, apart. which is true. So I probably should say, oh, that was a jape. That was a joke. It were a Sometimes jape. on this podcast, we like to do banter and like, it's we make good. funny jokes and stuff every I, now and then. I love a bit of hashtag bants. Yeah. Hashtag banter. You know what's a really good bit of rugby banter? What? You know, you know the word flanker? Yeah. It sounds no. like, yeah, 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 yeah. Think of no. a swear word. That piss. That sounds like flanker. Piss. Piss. Yeah, exactly. It sounds just like that. I'm going to name my book, What a Piss. What a Piss. So, do you ever go to the toilet and then come out and go, What a Piss? <laughs> All the time. Yeah, I do that a lot. All the time. Yeah. Do you want some more good rugby banter? Yeah. F- rugby players, men, like men's toilet sign. Okay. Women's rug- no, like footballers, fairy oh. sign or women's sign. <laughs> fairy sign, when- which you often see I've seen toilets. that though. Like, but the, the, oh, they're yeah. updating Rep it when they're like... UK post that kind of stuff. Yeah, lot. they now post fairies instead of like... It's because it's woke. Yeah, because it, it's woke. Because it's too... Rugby's got woke. Yeah. And therefore, like, I can't believe how woke rugby is that women's rugby is better and more entertaining than men's rugby. <laughs> it's so woke. <laughs> like, the sport has really doubled like, down on being woke, I feel it? more engaged in women's rugby and more excited by it. Yeah. And I want to watch it more. That's so woke. Yeah. <laughs> Bloody rugby's gone woke. Yeah. It is so woke. Sadia Kabea, one of the best players in the world, probably the most talented rugby Who player he's played for since Mauro Toje, yeah. right? Bloody, she went to a state school and she plays women's rugby. That's so, so woke. woke. That is... She wants to talk about her hair. It's bloody woke. It's woke. Why? Why is the talent of people that aren't white men being recognised now? That it's is... so bloody woke. Yeah, I don't know what woke is. No, it means literally. I just nothing. got called it on Twitter a few times, and I literally don't know what it means. Do you want to hear something else that's woke? Yeah, I do. So there were oh, prompts, yeah. prompt examples, right? This AI that I went to mm-hmm. that were like, enter a love story between four people, 
or between two people or enter like a violent crime that you want to take place. Okay, did you enter for a love story between Martin Corrie and Dan Leo? So because... I added to the end of my prompt about the 2007 Record World Cup. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> but two players fall in love. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so is it picked two players for you? So I'm going to read you what came out. Oh my god. I thought the Deacon Manu fanfic was something. <laughs> The Rugby World Cup was a highly anticipated event this year, particularly for England, who were playing Samoa in the opening match. The atmosphere was electric as the fans cheered and clapped, and the players on the pitch were filled with energy and passion. (laughs) Yes, they were. Yes, they were. But not that kind. Little did anyone know that two of these players... Jack and Maria. (laughs) Had shared a secret connection since they were children. (laughs) They had grown up together in a small town in England and had developed a strong bond over the years. Oh my god. The connection between them was electrifying. and the game progressed, it only grew stronger. <laughs> what does this AI think a rugby game is? As they tackled each other. <laughs> there was a spark that neither of them could ignore. <laughs> I hadn't read this far. This is this glorious. This is timely for Israel Falau playing for the World 15 at the weekend. <laughs> yes. When a scrum was called... Jack and Maria looked into each other's <laughs> eyes and knew that something was changing. <laughs> Do you think they had to be f- playing flanker, both of them? Yeah, I think so. So one playing six, one playing seven. So, so no, both playing seven, yeah. Do we think... which Who plays for which team? Jack? England. England. Yeah. Maria. Maria is Samoan. Yeah. Yeah. And they're both playing seven. Yeah. Is Maria a boy? <laughs> I don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> As the half-time whistle blew, <laughs> both of them were filled with a newfound energy. Okay. <laughs> Jesus! Oh no. Jesus! Oh no. <laughs> they snuck off to a secluded... <laughs> spot in the stadium! <laughs> And pause, and pause. Brian Ashton is there giving his half-time team talk, saying like, right, okay, so far, it's been pretty average, okay? Now, we're going to get the ball wide, and then, we're going to do a hard carry from Jack. Where's Jack? Boys, everybody look up, look around you. Can you see Jack? Michael Jones, meanwhile, in the Samoa changing room, going, look, we need... We need to work on our tackle height. We need to bring it down a bit, try and chop them a bit more. You know, we need to try and get over the ball quickly, cleanly. Maria, that's fine. Maria, you're going to need to lead the... Uh, uh, not again. <laughs> it's the third time this World Cup. So, they <laughs> snuck off to a secluded spot in the stadium. And they shared a passionate kiss. <laughs> oh, Jack and Maria. <laughs> This okay. <laughs> this, this is incredible. 
the kiss quickly turned into more. <laughs> That's not how I expected that to be worded by an AI. <laughs> and they soon found themselves in the froze of an intense... <laughs> the second half! Oh, oh, they, they soon found themselves in the throes of an intent... <laughs> of an intense sexual encounter. Half started. Both of them still felt the afterglow of the union, <laughs> which sounds like ropey values, bollocks. The afterglow of the union. They played the game with a newfound intensity. Oh no! So they came back out for the second half. <laughs> so they were done in fifteen minutes. <laughs> they found a spot, snuck off, had a snog. Had a sex. <laughs> the throes of an intense sexual encounter. And then walked back, like, Jack just hey. sneaks out and goes, alright boys. It was ten minutes. The half time was only ten minutes at this point. That's true, yeah. It's very, very brief. Yeah. But, hey, good on them. <laughs> yeah. That next scrum. It's going to be intense. Game with a newfound intensity, and England <laughs> went on to win the match. Afterwards, oh no, oh no, there's more. Almost, there's two sentences <laughs> to go. Afterwards, Jack and Maria made a promise to stay together. They were eventually married for the rest of their lives. Hey, many years later. They still look back fondly on their first meeting in the Rugby World Cup as the moment that changed their lives forever. <laughs> Hang on, I thought they'd been in love since they were children. They'd known each other since they were children. But they were they friends didn't as meet children. Until the Rugby World Cup? <laughs> <laughs> so they were friends as children. Who then one gets like that bloody Miller Mills advert? One gets picked for England, one gets picked for Samoa. <laughs> they play against each other. One of them tackles the other, and they go, "You know what? We've got to go and have sex <laughs> at time. We have no choice now. Never mind going back to our changing room. Never mind waiting till after the game." Then Maria at the end's like, oh, it "Sucks, we lost." But... Yeah. But let's get married. Yeah. Do you think they proposed on the spot full time? Yeah, must have done. Must yeah. Have done. Yeah. They skipped straight to it. I mean, like, Portia Woodman once played against Rennie Whitcliffe, didn't they? Like, yeah. who are, who are married, by the way. Mm. So clearly it was that kind of situation where they'd secretly been in love with each other since they were children. Mm. And then at one point, a crunching tackle went in, like, no, we can't do this. It's too much <laughs> tension here. We can't ignore this any longer. No. So that's what happened during this game. Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening. Yeah, join us um, next week. We'll see you again next week for more rugby. Oh my God, that was funny. <laughs> yeah, the game today is the 2007 game in England and Samoa. Yeah. Where you might be surprised 
we they cut out during halftime, so we yeah. can't see if any of the players have sex at <laughs> halftime. <laughs> it probably went slightly differently to that, is yeah. what I fear. England do win in the end, though. They do win, so there's at least one thing in common. And I think as we go through this, if we realise there are more things it had in common, we will alight those as it goes along. Yes. I mean, so there's no players called Jack in the England team. No. Which is very disappointing. Yeah, and weird considering, you know, since then there's probably quite a few. Yeah. Josh's, Johnny's. Yeah. No Jack. Joe's. Maybe it was Dan Leo and Martin Corrie. I don't know. (laughs) It's the closest thing. And Dan Leo famously really in favour of homosexuality. Yes. So. Yes, really, really into the whole having sex with an opposition player at halftime. Yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. yeah, Really into players called Maria being on teams as well. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. <sighs> so, um, yeah, England win this bloody game, don't they? And they do some rugby. Um, I don't know where to go now. <clears throat> Anything feels like a step down now from that. That was like our Fifty Shades attempt, <laughs> yes. clearly. Right at the start of this, the coverage of this game, mm. they do get off to a good start thematically. By having this like weird jazz playing over like an establishing shot of a random cafe in Paris. Yeah. As this like which feels like the intro to a porno. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So, the bass guitar on that is yeah. heavy. So you are kind of wondering, like Not is this... that I know what a porno is, but yeah. No, I mean I I know the sequel to Train Spotting, the book. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if this was it. They were expecting the Jack and Maria game. Mm. And it did not come. No. That was it. Clearly there was such an intense build up. And then they realised they had the wrong game on. Wait, maybe we did watch the wrong game. Maybe, as a cover-up, they got 30 actors pretending to be rugby players together to recreate a realistic Rugby World Cup game. Honestly, it kind of feels like that at points. Yeah, it really does. The first half hour of this game is bad. Mm. It is a boring game in which two teams of good players are unable to put anything together and look like they haven't played the game before. Mm, Sure. As you say, like it kind of looks like they've cast convincing actors as Johnny Wilkinson et al and everyone is doing an okay version where it looks like they know how to spin pass but they mm. kind of don't understand that they can't sure. play the game instinctively sure. yeah and then in the second half like out of nowhere it suddenly becomes a good game for a bit mm. and you're like what's going on I didn't sign up for this thing is what's weird is naturally I want to stick up for this game mm. because the commentators made it sound like this is the worst occasion of sport that has ever happened yeah this is an absolute disgrace that anyone has allowed this to happen. When actually Jack and Marie remember this fondly for the rest of their yeah, lives. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, that does union. give a bit of perspective about why they were so disappointed by the game after hearing that. And look, the rest of this podcast is going to be very disappointing. Yeah. Because we can't live up to that, possibly. I mean, so it's a game that England went into knowing they absolutely had to win. Yeah. Which normally these are anyway. Because England have been was, shite yeah. in this tournament. The previous game, the South Africa Tonga game, they were talking about how there's a decent chance England lose both of these yeah. because of how poor they've been to both yeah. Samoa and then Tonga the following game. Yeah. That was kind of the stakes so of they could be knocked out in the pool stage as defending champions. Yeah. Which England being knocked out in the pool stage is obviously a ludicrous thing that would never happen. No. Ever. Under any circumstances. But yeah, like they'd come off 36-0 battering to South Africa. Mm. And South Africa's like not necessarily strongest team as well. Yeah. You know, South Africa didn't really get into fifth gear against England. And they looked so shit against the USA. Yeah. And clearly they went into this game knowing we have to change our approach slightly. Failed to get the bonus points. All their tries came from 15 minutes of each other. Yes. And for the entire game, they were just utter dog shit in that game. 28-10 was the the USA one. Yeah, the USA game. And then the, yeah, then 36-0, the Springboks game. 
And it was kind of, it was a complete mess of an England team. It was, yeah. But they did, however, make a couple of changes mm. coming into this. So, Ollie Barkley coming in the mid- midfield with Matthew Tate is the really inspiring thing about this midfield that really clearly sp- will spark a change going mm. into this game is those two probably bringing loads of creativity or whatever bollocks people oh, said so much creativity. in 2007. The mad thing about this team, right, you look at it, it is one of the worst teams made up entirely of good players that I've ever seen. Yeah. That England team. You look at it and every player individually go, oh, they're a good player. Oh, they're good. Mm. They deserve a go. But it's just so incohesive. It's so uninspiring to look yeah. at that team sheet, isn't it? It stinks of, and it's funny, I remembered about this when Dan Hipkiss comes off the bench, which is a hell of a thing. If I hadn't been preparing AI stories, I might have prepared Dan Hipkiss World Cup. Yeah. Uh, my new favourite game. But that can wait. That can wait. That can wait. Because Dan Hipkiss plays in this game. He is, instantly, he's called Hipkiss, which is a name we would have found hilarious if it was in 87, but instead we remember him playing. That's which true. Which ruins it. It which does ruins ruin it. it. Yeah. Dan Hipkiss. So, Such an English rugby player name, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really is. Such a specifically, that's the Tigers and the Naughties name. So, something I would remember about Dan Hipkiss' playing career, like the defining mm-hmm. moment for me wasn't like his winning try in the Premiership final. It wasn't his winning try against the Ospreys. It wasn't him having like a really long, steady career for Leicester because he was mm-hmm. a good player, you know? Yeah. There was one season where he had been absolutely phenomenal for Leicester in a few games in a row leading into the autumn. And the talk was all Dan Hipkiss needs to be England's third team going into this autumn international mm-hmm. series. And I remember Stuart Barnes saying on a one of those, like, the old the rugby club programme they used to do. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, it was all right. Yeah, you know? with Simon Lazenby. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember Stuart Barnes saying, Dan Hipkiss, good player. He is the best performing 13 in the, in the Premiership right now. But Rugby World Cup winning 13, Dan Hipkiss, I just can't see it. He's like, I just, I just can't see it. I just and can't see any word where that happens. I think that's fair enough, yeah. observation. And he went, so I just... I don't think it's... I think it's a waste of caps to just yeah. to make him your 13. I, I always had the same thing with Owen Watkin, like for yeah. Wales. I was yeah. like, he's a great player, brilliant USC player. And when he plays for Wales, he's great. Yeah. But do I think he's going to be our starting 13 when we win the Rugby World Cup? Him Probably not. saying that changed how I look at international rugby selection. Yeah. I was sort of maybe 12, 13 or something at the time mm. when I heard that. And it changed the perspective that I saw. Because so like, before that, I told us you just select the best players. Mm. You know, select players that play sure. the best. And I was like, oh, no, no, he's right. Like, some players are like a class above and you want to keep, you know. Yeah. And it changed the way I view the whole mentally thing. mentally can crack it. You yeah, know? it's why, like, to pick a different England example, like, I would pick Rafi Quirk over Alex Mitchell any day of the week. I agree, I agree with <laughs> Because I think one of those is a player who I can see kicking on and becoming, like, a yeah. World Cup winning quality or player. Or, like, Ben Spencer, even yeah. though his premiership performance this season hasn't been the same standard as yeah. Alex Mitchell's. That's why I think Jack Van Porthel is worth investing in yeah. as a player, you know. I think they've just got something about them we're like, that player could kick on and be world-class. And I'd rather have someone who is not quite as good at the minute who mm. could kick on and become world-class. And Alex Mitchell is an absolutely class premiership player. Alex Mitchell is at his ceiling now. Yeah. Uh, and I think for several years, he will be an absolutely class scrum off for Northampton. Yeah. And will score loads and loads of tries for them. As he has been doing. And, yeah. And as time goes on, he'll probably captain them and just be an outstanding servant for He'll them. be there for, yeah, he'll play another like 200 games from yeah. here on out for Northampton. It probably has something to do Maybe with have a year in the fact that, yes, his face looks like the most England club rugby player face he of all time. looks like he was made by Ardman. He does. In the noughties. And also, he doesn't know what a reindeer is. What? Did you not see this clip? What? So it's on the moments of the year longer, so we'll get, you know. What? But this is, this is inside baseball moment here. What? Right? There was a clip, I think it was while you were away actually, what? Of Alex Mitchell did a promo thing for Northampton where it was like players driving around in the car that were sponsored by whatever sponsor. And there's a bit in it where Alex Mitchell goes, Did you know that reindeers are real? 
Oh my god. And the other players are like, as like Sam Madavesi and someone else go, yeah? He's like, I thought they were like a made up magical Christmas animal. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, I thought, I thought they were made up like Santa. Have you Spo- ever, that's not true. Yeah. Have you ever seen the Lily Allen would I lie to you thing where her thing on would mm. I lie to you it was a Christmas special mm. was I only found out that reindeers were real when my daughter told me. And it, it was a lie. Yeah. And she told it really, really well, but they did figure out it was a lie. Like, that is literally something that some, a producer thought, oh, it would be funny if Lily Allen pretended this was yeah. a real thing. But if Alex Mitchell, when Alex Mitchell goes on Would I Lie to You, BBC programme where people have to pretend things, real fake stories are true in the UK for anybody who is it's outside of the it's UK. A it's a very good, very, very good concept. Very yeah, good usually setup. comedians do it. But yeah. On this occasion, they got a singer to do it. But when Alex Mitchell goes on it, because Matt Dawson's been on it, yeah. and Ugo Monya's been on it. Ugo Monya's been so, on it. When Alex Mitchell goes on it, he can tell the exact same story and they'll be like, oh, that's a lie, obviously. And then they'll be like, no, I'm an idiot. But Sam Matavesi, my daughter, told me that actually reindeers are real. So yeah, extraordinary, extraordinary fact about Alex Mitchell. Great, thanks uh, for that. England team. England team. England team. Johnny Wilkinson in it. Yes, the big headline. Finally, he's back. Finally, the man they've talked about, no one else when he hasn't been playing. Yeah. Finally, he's actually playing. He is fit again. <laughs> He is playing. It's really interesting doing this retrospectively, actually, because at this point, if I was watching rugby, mm. I know I would have been going, shut up about Johnny Wilkinson. It's really annoying. And like in the years that yeah. happened after this, we we often had conversations about how annoying it was. They only spoke about Johnny Wilkinson and just hyped him up endlessly. Yep. But I looked at this and went, oh, yes, Johnny Wilkinson's playing. I love Same. that. Yeah. I'm so glad to get watch him play. But when he lines and- up for the National Anthems, he looks so uncomfortable with the cameras on him. Yes. I mean, the other thing is, I had to watch them play a Folly Barkley at 10. Yes. So I'm very happy to be seeing... And Mike Cat <laughs> slash Andy Cat. Farrell. Yeah. So I am delighted to see Johnny Wilkinson yeah. get a go at 10. Because bloody quality player. Yeah. Also, as we record this, Johnny Wilkinson's birthday. Oh! Happy birthday to John Bob. Happy Wilkie birthday, Bob. John Bob. Bob, Bob, Bob. Uh, this was the peak of... Well, no, it was just after the peak of his fame. So it was the point at which rugby is most excited about him. Mm. And therefore, I think him coming back from injury was an enormous deal. Yeah. In England, he was the face of the tournament. Yeah. Uh, he was the face of rugby union. He is, as I've said on previous episodes, he is one of two players to ever transcend rugby as a star. Yes. To ever properly like reach out beyond just people who know about sport. Yeah. To like everyone in the country knows who they are. You know, yeah, it, it was a case with Lomu. It was a case of Johnny Wilkinson. And that's the only two. If you were to stop people, sort of anyone, maybe over 20 odd mm-hmm. nowadays, and ask them to name a, work, a rugby player, if they're not massively into rugby, if you're willing to say, you know, past or present, Johnny Wilkinson will be the first name that comes up. Yeah. Almost everyone in the UK. Yeah. Like he will come up almost immediately. Yeah. If Unless you ask me, I'd say Colin Gregor. Yeah. I'd say Nick Abenderman. Yeah. But <laughs> Wilkinson was that level of, like, and this was kind of, as he was at that level of fame, Every England game was billed as come and watch Johnny Wilkinson play. Yes. And so the fact he hadn't Especially played, in the World Cup. Yeah. The World Cup after the one where he played quite well, apparently. Yeah. But we've not watched that yet, so I can't verify. No. So enormous other hype on him, enormous other pressure, which he's talked about quite a lot as being yeah. really harmful and upsetting to him. Yes. And he'd also just come back from an enormous injury. Yeah. Which they tried to rush him back for the first game. He hadn't made it. Tried to rush him back for the second game. He hadn't made it. Did get him back for this third game. Yeah. I don't know how fit he was. I don't know whether they'd rush him back too soon. But it was all a bit dodgy. Okay. 
For what it's worth, mm. I think Johnny Wilkinson is fantastic in this game. Mm. And we'll get onto that. The commentators I, very much do not. Yes. Think. I am torn. Okay. Because I think he is both fantastic and terrible. Okay. I think he is below his usual standard, yet he's also, relative to the other players on the pitch, yeah. a very decisive factor and excellent. At one point, the commentator who, again, we will talk about, says Johnny Wilkins is one of those players who clearly is way past his best and isn't anywhere near as good as he was in the old days in 2003. And it's like, just you fucking wait till you watch him play in 2014 for too long. He was and like he lights it up. 27 at this point as well. Yeah. What but, do you what do you expect to happen to a player when that's the sort of thing you're saying about them at exactly. that age? You know? And the fact Johnny Wilkinson got through the other side of this, it took him going to France to get through the other side yeah. of this is the thing. Yeah. Completely escaping the bubble, taking from the new language, moving entirely, and being so embraced by it, that was Yeah. Too long was weird because he had an awful lot of money, but at the time when he signed they were a small club. Yeah. And they absolutely adored him. Yeah. There. Like he fans, is... Everything. You know, we talked about Pinar on last week's episode, but he is maybe the best overseas signing that a club yeah. in Europe has ever made. Yeah. I, when I was editing that, I realised we forgot to mention Nick Evans at Harlequins. Oh, that's that a good shout. That's a good shout. But, yeah, yeah, Ben Castle at the Dragons as well. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Pulling out all the big guns today. <laughs> I've got to say, Maria had a good stint at Harlequins. <laughs> she really did. They really did. How do you solve a problem like open side flanker? However, the thing about Johnny Wilkinson, right? Having mm. rushed back from this injury, I'm just going to read you something about how he got back from his injury. Go on. That's okay. Go on. Is this generated by an AI? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Johnny Wilkinson is trying to recover from injury in time to play against Samoa and Tonga in the Rugby World Cup, but he is <laughs> he is also desperately to keep his sanity. This is by a different AI to the previous one. Okay. Because the previous one had limited uses for free before I actually sign up. Brilliant. And I didn't want to do that. For some reason, right, the first paragraph is in third person. The rest is written from Johnny Wilkins' perspective. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this is this? from the perspective of Johnny. This is real. <laughs> okay. Via an AI. Okay. From the perspective of Johnny Wilkinson talking about coming back from injury. So he was interviewed by yes. someone called Alan Intelligence. This was his this was his column that he wrote for the same last mag as Ollie Barkley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More on that later. Before smashing the um, oh no. <laughs> you know, I've been thinking about this. You know the old saying, if you can dream it, then you've just had a dream. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't dream it, well then, that's what you have to live with. That does sound like something Johnny Wilkinson would say. It doesn't make any sense, but it sounds so much like something Johnny Wilkinson would say. (laughs) Very drolly on ITV in a suit. And the thing is, everyone looks at him and goes, hmm, you've got a point there, Johnny. You know, if you can dream it, then well, you've just dreamt it. I played with some great Italian players (laughs) down the years. (laughs) I had to admit that it did sound like a good idea, says Johnny Wilkinson. (laughs) What, not being injured? It was the first of many times that I thought about what I might do with my life. Like not be injured. <laughs> that I should dream about it first before I did anything else. Okay, this is where it takes a turn. Are you ready? No. <laughs> In, the t- <laughs> In the days after my prison break... <laughs> When I started to think about how to make a new life, <laughs> my dreams began to come true. Of not being injured. 
The first dream I remember. <laughs> I haven't read this at all. Was an enormous, dark, empty space. A huge black void. There was no one in it except me and the space itself. That does sound like something Mojo would say. He does. When he's being like ponderous on his podcast about how difficult the injury troubles were. Yeah, and always wanted to kick goal. There was no one in it except me and the space itself. Then I woke up, still in my own bed, in the same house. My first memory of that dream was my mother's face, her eyes full of tears, the way she had looked as she found out I'd been arrested. (laughs) Her first words to me were, you've got to go. Oh no, that's the end of the story. I think this AI has misunderstood the assignment. I think so. What do you think Johnny Wilkinson went to prison for? (laughs) Too many gold kicks. Yeah. Oh, but the thing is, Johnny Wilkinson's genuinely too sweet a human to even joke about this with. You bloody getting him cancelled for bloody not knowing who Paolo Gobbezi was for your tweet. Yeah, Bloody being woke. Yeah. Look, I love Johnny Wilkinson, and I, f- I feel like I can't formally introduce this to the canon that he got no. arrested. No, he <laughs> like, didn't. Any was... other player, I'm like, yeah, that's fine. That is fan fiction written by Ollie Barkley for yes, his Lazmac. It is, it is. That was his way of trying to get him out the England team so yeah. he could get the 10 jersey. It's like, have you heard that Wilkinson's on house arrest? More on that later. Oh, no. Let's look at the Samoan team. Yes. Because we've gone into the England team in some considerable depth. So Maria starts at seven <laughs> yes. with Dan Leo. It's, it's a weird backline they put out because they move Lockie Crichton, whatever that is, to mm. fullback, having previously started at 10 in the Tonga game. Still don't really know what he is. Uh, Lockie Crichton's such a weird player because of all the South Sea Island players that could have been named after the God of Mischief, <laughs> this weird, very conservative, like, fly-half fullback is not the one. No. And the reason why he's moved to fullback is because in the 10 jersey, they bring in one Eliotta Furmanosopolu. Yes. So it's an interesting one. And I didn't want to bring it up at the wrong time because of the previous two Samoan games, we've had guests on and so mm. on. And it's been, it's been, it's felt like the wrong time. But I, like a year ago, listened back to the episode we did on 2011 series mm. of South Africa against Samoa. And at that point, we talked about, because Eliotta Furmanosopolu was a huge, part of that game. He yes. Was, uh, I think we both considered him for man of the match and then kind of rescinded it because of his comments after the game yeah. where he kind of sent for World Rugby and he has doubled down on this since, like, relatively recently in the last couple Continually. of years. He continues to all he the time. He doubles down on, like, that he was right about all of that. And I spoke about he, the fact... That, so, it, yeah, as a summary on. for people that don't remember, mm. he accused Nigel Owens, the referee in that game, of being racist. Yes. That he award, didn't want to award the... Pacific Island players, mm. penalties, etc. Didn't want to give them the game because of the colour of their skin, because he wanted to keep a World Rugby status quo, yeah. etc. Because he didn't want there to be a you know almost entirely non-white team in yes. the quarterfinals. He levelled all of that against World he Rugby. He threatened to castrate Nigel Owens as well. Jesus. And in that episode, we went very deep on this. Yes. And we spoke a lot about how Phil Monosopolu is an extremely alternative character in the rugby universe. Yes. That he is not the same as every other bloody male rugby no. player in the universe. He's extremely outward with his views and stuff. And we spoke about that a little bit and how he's a character, love him or loathe him. And I would just like to quickly say that I don't think I went hard enough on him there because I think Phil Wallace Apollo is a cunt. I am, I am in agreement with you. Yeah. I think rugby needs more people who are willing to be like Phil Wallace Apollo, but less people like Phil Wallace Apollo. Yeah. And he is a 
massive prick who was yeah. continually starting to show his ass. Yeah. And I think at the time you were like, oh, it's, ooh. it's like, oh, look how funny it is that he's like, oh, well, anti-lockdown and, you know, anti-bloody yeah. woke stuff. But like, I reached it's... a point like a year ago where I had to unfollow him because Same, yeah. I was constantly getting like anti-gay, anti-trans, like every, just anti-anything stuff onto my timeline. Mm. What I love about Fumano Sopolu is the way that he will always stick up for Pacific Islands. Yes. He will always yeah. stick up for... Like, I saw him on his personal Facebook account flaming, I think it's the Good, Bad and Rugby or something, mm. for putting an all-time Rugby World Cup dream team. And they had Michael Jones's name in black. And he said that should be in blue because uh, mm. he played for Samoa beforehand. He won one cap and never went to a Rugby World Cup with him. But I kind of you love kind that of he put does both that. On. Yeah, I think that's quite both, yeah. almost funny that yeah. he's so willing to stick up for the Pacific Islands. But... Just, I just think that we did we potentially at that point didn't go hard enough on him for the fact that he is clearly an absolute asshole and is willing to upset literally anybody. And yeah, I think he's part of this huge wave of people who considered themselves free thinkers by just being anti this or anti yeah, that, exactly. rather than actually just being an asshole. Yeah, not interrogating, actually thinking about issues, just kind of reacting in a yeah. very base level, like angry way. And I have no intention to kind of get all political on this podcast or whatever, because at the end of the day, that's not what this is about. Mm. And I think he's an absolutely excellent rugby player. Yeah. And I say all of this very much in the knowledge that if he heard this, he would talk about the fact that he could very easily beat me up, which he could. Yes. And he would. Yeah. And I have no doubt about that. And fair play to you for Manu Sopolu. But you know what? Even after you did that, I would still think, I think you're a bit of an arsehole. So he talked... When he left Gloucester, where he was for quite a while during yeah. his career, like most of his kind of professional club rugby was played at Gloucester, yeah. for a lot of time there at least, about how playing in England and playing at Gloucester changes his opinion of the English. We view yeah. it as like complete one note as like villains, evil. Because if you look at history, nine times out of ten, the English are the, the, bad, are guys. the bad guys. Yeah. You know, the one time out of ten is, you know, yeah. It's Jack. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. the one time out of ten. Maybe they were the right guys morally, but they were still usually doing things in a dubious way. Yeah, you know, British Empire and all that. Not ideal, not great a lot of the time. And I get it completely, right? But, like, you also kind of can't tar everyone in the nation mm. with the same brush. And you kind of, I think, talk about learning that and, like, learning to approach the English as a more nuanced issue. Yeah. And it's funny how much he's slid in from there. Yeah. How he's he seems less nuanced than he did when he was at Gloucester. That's it. And I think he's now, he's someone that clearly sits in, the, you know, in his little, like, whatever room. And screams at the world based on, like, weird misinformation that he's yeah. seeing. And all of it is based on stuff he hasn't looked up. Yeah. It's always the case with this. It's he's like, a massive, like, climate change denier, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. This is always I my, like... I might have misunderstood that. No, I think he is. My favorite, like, COVID deniers, climate change deniers. Same thing on, like, trans Awful, and yeah, LGBT He's extremely issues. transphobic constantly on Twitter. Like... All of that stuff, right? homophobic. All of it basically comes, I feel, from... This idea of people who essentially know nothing about a topic, who aren't necessarily, you know... Yeah, whatever. don't have empathy towards the topic. I yes, think. but I think also, there's something with the... Particularly with, like, flat earthers and COVID deniers yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and climate change denial and everything, right? Of, like, if you can pick apart something and you can go, oh, look at this, no one's thinking about this. All the world experts think that COVID is real, that climate change is real, that the earth is round. Right, all the world ex- but I know this. I'm different. That makes me smarter than the world leading exports who've gone and do six degrees I got 30 caps and a professor of this. Yeah, 
But it kind of leaves that theory of like, I'm special because I can spot this in the world leading experts. Can't. Yeah. And it's something that like, I can't remember who it was that said that like all of the, the brightest people you meet, the people ask the most questions are most willing to admit that mm. they're wrong. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. then you learn and when things. they don't know something. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's a thing with Phil Marlon's Apollo in like, he has an absolute take, which is his first take on everything, and he doubles down on it continually yeah. Yeah, forever. Yeah, yeah. And it's led into a situation where he thinks he is incredibly smart, and actually what he is is ignorant. Yeah. And a bit of a dunce. Yeah. And very good at rugby. But Extremely he's retired now, so who gives a shit? Yeah, exactly. And I just wanted to get that out of the way before we talk about Phil Marlon Apollo, the rugby player, yeah. which I want to do. I want to the- celebrate him as a rugby player, yeah. but I also think his personality is horrible. Yes. I think and it's worth mentioning that. I wish there before were before we get into it. Yeah, I wish there were people in rugby willing to be as vivacious on social media as he was that weren't massive cunts like him. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think where his morals originally that. come from aren't too bad, but where they've ended up is horrible. Yes. Yeah. This is reaching the time it was just me and Josh on blood and mud levels yeah. of two men angrily agreeing. Let's with each other. quickly That's... abort and talk about the rest of the Samoan team because it's a really good line. Yes. I mean, obviously speaking of people who are problematic, Brian Lima's in the centre <laughs> yes. with Salela Mapasua and there is not a midfield in world rugby that I would less like to tackle. I Yeah. So their backline, right? Junior Polu, fine. Okay, whatever. Good, good player. Great player. Great player, right? But the sheer physicality of this backline then once mm. you move it on, right? Fulmanu Sapolu at 10, who is a big boy. Get stuck in. Like, well, no, he's a... He's naturally not massive in the way that Mapasua to Lange His chest, though. But he has absolutely rinsed he's every jacked. ounce of who yeah. he is into being entirely muscle. Yeah. He has sort of that, got that, like, Nick Gregg thing of just being entirely a fat... Yeah. Kieran Williams, a thousand percent muscle. Yeah. Zero percent body fat. Yeah. Alexander Tuolangi on one wing. Brian Lima and Salela Mapasua in the centres. Two of the hardest-hitting players... Three yeah. of the hard-hitting players three in, them in succession. Three of them in Yeah. Ever. Then David Lemmy on the wing. Fine. Who, you know what, runs his weight. Yeah, he's packed a punch, though, isn't he, for what he is. Yeah. yeah. Bloody Ant-Man over here. Then, yeah, different Marvel character, Loki Crichton at fullback. <laughs> yeah, whatever um, he is. Though the interesting thing about Loki Crichton, right, is mm. he came through the same counties team as John Lomu. Really? Yeah. Mad. So, I bet he was the most celebrated. Yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. You know, Lomu was just in the stands for this tournament. How often did Lomu play for Worcester? Exactly. If ever. Almost never. Almost, Almost never. never. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. Quickly looking at the pack, most Wilgers in, Census Johnston's in, Joe Takori's in. These are all Dan Leo moves to six. Yeah. Semo Satiti at captain is Seven. great. And yeah, Henry Tuolangi. Second Tuolangi in the team. Yes, because that's what you need, clearly. Looking at that, that's a stacked lineup. And then you see them do a Civitao. Yes. And if I was looking at that Civitao, I would pull my hamstring. Uh, yeah. And the way they advance as they do it, yeah. they move forward from the 10 metre line to basically in England's faces, who was perched, stood on the halfway line itself. Yeah. Uh, there is no standing up to that. There no. is nothing you can do. It's one of the scariest Civitals I've ever seen. I do not want to look Mapasura in the eye. Um, no. Not a you chance. Know? No. Actually, no, I interviewed him once. Lovely oh, yeah. guy. Really lovely man. Perfectly fine. Got very shy and bashful when I started talking about how I thought he was one of the best 12s in the world at a period. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because I started talking about his playing career and I was like, you were bloody really great. And he was like, oh, thank you. And I decided to get slightly uncomfortable in a very Emily Scarrett way. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, yeah. He was then appointed Samoa coach like two weeks later. Sure. So it was right before that. But he was talking yeah. about how he wanted to do more to like get involved in Samoa. Yeah, that's good. Out, I'm a so. big fan of Mapasua. Yeah. I think we wanked over and him a lot in 2011. Yeah. Doing a good job. 
yeah. doing a good job with yeah, Samoa yeah, as coach. With a tough gig. So yeah, we'll come up more when we come to Samoa video wise. Yes. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So yeah, there was a thing from looking at the Civitao and the Anthems and then some more standing around before the game kicks off, right? Mm. And there's a really specific vibe I get off them. Because like we talked about Tonga in the last game and how pumped up and like ready they were. Yes. And how their anthem kind of was like very flat because they were all throwing <laughs> everything into the sip it out. Yeah. Samoa don't have that vibe, right? Samoa look annoyed, but not angry or furious. Like they look slightly annoyed. Yeah. Okay. Like, like they're ready to take something out on England. Not even that. Like they look like they're going to take their bloody fish fingers out the oven and they've forgotten the fish lice. <laughs> like, they, they've lost their oven gloves. And they're like, I can't believe this has happened now. you use a fish slice on fish fingers? Yeah, you want to scrape them off of the thing. Yeah, fair enough. the tray. Fair enough. I guess I've just not eaten fish fingers in a while. Yeah, you want to scrape them off the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Potato waffles. Take the potato waffles off the tray. Yeah. You know, they're whatever else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their burger, you know, the KFC. Yeah. Yeah, it looked yeah. like they can't find the fish slice, can't find their rubber gloves, and they're just annoyed about it. It's just yeah. been like five minutes walking around, it's starting to get cold now, or it's bloody, they've left the oven on, and it's now starting to get burnt. Nightmare. Absolute nightmare situation. Nightmare. Is this necessarily channeled into the first couple of minutes of play, this slight annoyance? Absolutely not. <laughs> Actually, yes, it is. Actually, yes, it is. They've got, like, I think a coach has clearly gone in to try and pump them up and motivate them, and it's gone completely wrong. <laughs> It's got oh, shut up, man. Yeah, it's, oh, God, I can't be dealing with this. You've guy. annoyed us in the wrong <laughs> yeah. way. And so they kick off, and then they kick straight into the hands of Joe Worsley. Yeah. He literally gets a charge down about 10 seconds into the game and looks like he's about to score, but in the most I, Joe Worsley way possible, just really takes his time of picking the ball up because he doesn't want to risk knocking it I on. I couldn't imagine Joe Worsley scoring a try. <laughs> And I'm glad I didn't have to amend that image. Yeah. That is the only try I could see him scoring, though. Well, yeah. So charges get, down the kickoff and just Charges down the kickoff in the 22. And sees the ball in front of him. No one near. He can pick it up. He can drop on it. He can hack it along. Anything. And he's scoring. He's like five metres out. He and doesn't he just, use his feet. He just overruns the ball. <laughs> you, A child would score that. Like, someone that hasn't played rugby before would instinctively run towards the ball and pick it up. Yeah. I think he doesn't rush picking it up because he doesn't want to knock it on. Mm. He doesn't want to go for the 50-50, either score or drop it. Which, you know, is quite unselfish of him. I'll say that much. As he regathers it and takes it into contact. If you went to a child who'd never played rugby before but knew he could pick up the ball, Mm. the sort who would pick it up and say, rugby! And then run around. 
I hope that is a relatable reference for people that grew up in places where rugby is actually popular. <laughs> because in places where rugby is known but not popular, I think that's a very relatable reference. Yeah. That sometimes when you're playing football casually, someone will pick up the ball and yell, Rugby! And just yeah. run around yelling, Rugby! Pretending it's rugby. And then we go, oh, good one. They'll put it down and stop playing footy again. Yeah. Like, a kid like that would pick up the ball and score from there. Sure, sure. Joe Worsley doesn't. No. But Joe Worsley's talents lay elsewhere. <laughs> he and really, I'm, really do. I'm very much in favour of the fact he just chose not to score that. Yeah. Like, this so, isn't for me. He, and again, you say he could have towed it on. But also, Joe Worsley wears... The most on-brand flanker boots you'll ever oh, see. Y- yes, yeah. effectively clown shoes. I'm pretty sure he wears leather in there. I'm pretty sure he wears steel toe cap boots. Yeah, <laughs> like, I think so. Like he's on a building site. Yeah, wears a hard hat as well. Yeah, it's just the way he plays. Yeah, so he just sticks his head down, looks after the ball while the Samoans have all got back to cover him. And you know, what? yeah, fair enough, because England still capitalise. Yes. They spread it out one way, nothing happens, because they're bloody asking Matt Tate of this era and Mark Cueto to do something yeah, with to it. to get through Lima and Mapasua. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. Well done. Good luck to you, pal. So they spread it back the other way, and Johnny Wilkinson throws an absolutely phenomenal pass to Martin Corey, who then does the most unbelievable job of bombing the try, only to accidentally fall over the line. Yeah. Because Lima absolutely nails him. Yeah, so he goes to like, he like trundles in. Like, all he has to do is go in a straight line and fall over. Like, Wilkinson's mm. thrown him an absolute pearl of a ball. And he goes, oh, no, I'll step back inside and take, be safe. Yeah, then Brian Lima smashes him. But because, you know, he is the size he is. Like, you know, you felling a tall enough tree, it will fall forwards. Yeah. And he just happens to fall over on the line and, and scores accidentally. And he looks up and goes like, oh, that's the try line. Yeah. Well, I've just... Put it back. Because he bombs his try. Yeah, he bombs his try, but accidentally finishes it <laughs> in the process of bombing it. Talking about Joe Worsley not scoring it. That's exactly how I want to see Martin Corey <laughs> yes. score his tries. Yeah, head down was a phrase invented for Martin Corey. <laughs> yes, and he was very good at that, and it works on this occasion. The commentary then talks about how we were just criticising Martin Corey for not having much of an all-round game. <laughs> you know what? Fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> um, but he says, but there is one thing that you do get from Martin Corey every time. And that is a full 80 minutes if he's kept on the pitch that long. <laughs> Great. That's up there with Robbie Knox. They need to just do everything yeah. last week. Uh, he is kept on for the full game. Oh, congrats to him. You were guaranteed 80 minutes for him. Yep. If he stays on every time. So yeah, England goes 7-0 up. And that's quite plain sailing. That first two minutes of the game where they've made enough ground and got into quite a comfortable position. And you think, okay, England look like they could be decent in this game. They look much better than they have in the first two games. Yeah, immediately. Yeah. And that, that's, it's visible. Yes. You know? The difference that a little bit Worsley, but a little bit more Johnny Wilkinson has made. Sure. Overnight, people going, oh, look at this rugby player. He's really good. Yeah. So he then boots them again. They get back into the Samoan 22 and instantly Johnny Wilkinson sets up. He doesn't even set up actually. He just receives no. the ball sort of stood between the posts in a fairly standard position with attack and runners set off him. And he nails the most iconic drop goal he has scored in the Rugby World Cup. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And like he's come so far after being arrested and going yes. to jail and so on. His prison break. Contemplating the dark void with his mum. Yeah. I think that's a brilliant option. A lot of people will hate it. I, yeah, I don't mind it. I think at the time, I often got annoyed when I saw Wilkinson go for drop goals because he was playing for England and not Wales. Yes, you know, 
I think six minutes into a game against Samoa, I might have wanted to keep the ball in hand and see if you can press and score a second try. Yeah, kind of break their spirit. But I think, given how shy England have been so far in this I tournament, think building a score against them is really smart. If they idea. were playing literally anyone else, I'd been very pro it. Mm. But I think a team like Samoa, you can kind of break in the first ten minutes if you score yes, a few times. But I do think so. He goes for that as soon as the ball slows down. And then yeah. you start going for pick and Fair. goes. And he's got a backline set outside him. Samoa are not expecting this at all. And when that goes over, Samoa clear, look emotionally shattered, like mm. six or seven minutes in, because they're looking around and just going, oh, we defended that quite well. Yeah. And they've still got three points out of it. They've got ten points out of two sets where they've defended well. Yeah, exactly. In six minutes. Yeah. I really like that from what I don't dislike it at all. Yeah. And obviously he strikes it brilliantly. He just takes really it much those. easier, much earlier than I would have thought, though. Yeah. Is the thing. Which it's, is yeah. fair, because when you have a strike rate as good as Wilkinson's, you can probably afford to give him in a slightly more difficult position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I really like that. And then I have written down this commentator who can fuck off. Yes, I have similar notes quite often. Yes, because at that point he starts saying... Oh, well, he shouldn't have done that, Johnny Wilkinson. He starts talking about it objectively, saying like, oh, well, he shouldn't have done that. What he should have done is scored a try. It's like, yeah, brilliant. Well done. Yeah. Like, you should start coaching these or indeed playing. The following is written by me, not an AI. Talk objectively, you bellend. Yeah, exactly. Which he's constantly going, this is my take. This is my opinion. And he'd be like, I think this is the best thing for the game. And you're like, shut up. Yeah. Let it go. So previously we spoke about I think it was Paul something who commentated on a previous game. Mm. The one who, who commentated on the England-USA game. And it was awful going through that. Because yeah. there was so much of that episode talking about how negative the commentary was. This was worse. I would probably go as far as saying this is one of the worst rugby commentaries I've ever Is heard. it not the same guy? It's a different guy. It's a different guy. Unbelievably. He sounds okay. exactly the same. This is Jonathan Harris Bass. He's been on previous games. Yeah, he's been on yeah. previous games. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he's been on as Touchline Reporter a couple of times. Right, and okay. then, yeah progressed to lead commentator and just all the time he's so negative about literally everything yeah like there's one point on the stroke of half time where Mapasua gets the ball steps inside Matthew Tate and then gets finished off by the inside defense Ollie Barkley Mm. and he goes that's dreadful defense by Matthew Tate he should be brought off it's so man in a pub the entire way it is and the fact that his commentary is giving his opinion on everything that happens yeah rather than so it's the, you describe it. Yeah. Your job is to be objective and discuss it. And it was clearly really infectious towards David Soule next to him, mm. who doesn't seem like a bad commentator whatsoever, no. but just clearly he got the vibe that like, oh, the brief we've been given here is to be really negative about England. Mm. And was just constantly just berating everything that either team did. Whenever anyone did something brilliant, it was always, oh, the other team's rubbish though, aren't they? I mean, you look at the Champions Cup final, right? We can just gone as we record this. Yes. Where we watch the ITV version, and it's amazing how differently people watch the ITV version to the BT Sport coverage. And there's nothing as Alex Rican as a commentator, right? But you had on CoComs, Austin Healy, complaining about the refereeing all the time, right? On the ITV version, you had Miles Harrison being very pro-everything. Yes. In that way he is. And then you had the co-commentators. Uh, Gordon Darcy. Gordon Darcy and... Was it Jamie Roberts? No, he was just the punditry. No, he just the punditry, yeah. And whoever else was on CoComs, I apologise forgetting not talking about the refereeing at all yeah just didn't address it you know they had a very brief moment when the red card was given yeah but at that moment miles harrison said really you should be thinking about colomb who's just been hit in the head yeah you know rather than the actual decision is it yellow or red that is more important yeah how is colomb doing 
And it makes for such a better game. Like, I think people were far more enthusiastic when they weren't questioning the referee constantly. Yes. And I went on this rant last week. Murray Kinsella had a clip be shared around where he said the same thing. It was a superb... I don't know if you... Did you read the piece? Really good... I mean, I hate to praise the Daily Mail. Really sure. good Daily Mail piece, which was a chat between Miles Harrison and Nick Mullins. No. I saw that that happened, but I've not actually read it yet. I'm saving that back because okay. I really want to read that. But it's they're wonderful. two of my favourite commentators. It's so lovely. It's such a great piece. Yeah. And both of them talking about how... The story Claire told about Miles Harrison on the podcast. Yes. How Bill McLaren did a similar thing for Miles Harrison when he was a young commentator. Oh. Both of them talk about kind of his influence on their careers and That's how like... Great. Both of them have handwritten notes by him. And how like warm he was and encouraging he was about the commentators. Yeah. And you but get the same vibe off those two guys, don't yeah. you? Yeah. There's an interesting thing Nick Mullins says in the piece, right? Of how important the moment for rugby as a sport and like rugby coverage. Yeah. Miles Harrison at Sky was in the nineties. And how many commentators are now copying what he did. Which is great. Yeah. And how he came in and before that, all commentary was either people just talking about what they were seeing or trying to be Bill McLaren. Yeah. And you kind of had the camp of people, Bill McLaren on his own, people trying to be Bill McLaren, and then you had people kind of just talking about what they were seeing, which is kind of like Cliff Morgan, I guess, was like the, the sure. absolute like all pioneer of that. Yeah, yeah, stand of that. That's it. Commentators where you don't really notice them. Yeah. Which this game could have done with. And then you were saying how Miles Harrison came in in the 90s and changed it completely by being incredibly professional, by knowing everything, by being completely on top of it but impossibly passionate about it. Yeah. And actually that mixture is what all commentators have kind of flocked towards since and yeah. tried to achieve since. I love how Miles Harrison isn't even commentating on this game. We're still obsessing over him. I know. It's happening every week. It happens all the time. But, but the the point is, right, this commentary on this game is the worst example of that kind of commentary that was starting to yes. die out in rugby. They've been dying out for 10 years at this point of commentary where it's just people talking about the game. And actually, I don't want to hear people talk about the game. I want you to cover it. Yeah. I want you to like try and bring something out. And he's constantly giving the players really non-specific negative advice. Yes. And saying yeah. next time he should uh, back himself more. Mm. So what does that mean? Mm. What does that actually mean? And every time like England either kick the ball or like, there's a point where Mark Cueto steps inside and he goes, "Oh, well, that's just horrible to see." It's very clear to see that this whole England team don't have confidence. Yeah. So there's another thing that Mullins talks about in that piece, about the importance of having a trained journalist in the commentary box rather than just professional players. And like, yes, you need people who understand the rugby, but you also need people who understand broadcasting Okay, and understand it from a... Like, Mark Harrison used the wonderful phrase that commentary is instant journalism. Okay, Um, I like that. I like that. And how basically you need someone that's chronicling the game. Mm. And he isn't doing that. Yeah. He's not giving you a description of the game. Yeah. It's amazing how much we've hated the commentary in 2007. Yeah. When it wasn't a problem in 87. Like, there were people saying uncomfortable things or weird things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's fine. Like, fundamentally, you take the piss out of once. Exactly. And then you go, oh, but this is great. It's just a different era, isn't it? Yeah. And, like, I loved Keith Quinn by the end of that yeah. tournament. And, like, Grant Nisbet was great in that tournament as well. Yeah. Whereas here, I'm guessing it's like an ITV directive of just slate England, just yeah. scold them and their opposition as much as you can. If England haven't absolutely battered somebody or, you know, whatever, if somebody's not beaten England, then they're terrible. Yeah. Even if it's, it's Samoa or Tonga or USA. Yeah, it's kind of the troubling situation with this whole thing, yeah. right? Is the, yeah, not to rag on the commentary too much, but I just think it's not anything 
Yeah. Like, it's just, like, it's harmful to the game that's being watched. Yeah, and that's it. I spent so much time thinking about the commentary rather than what was probably quite a good game. Yeah. I've got a lot of notes on commentary here. There's one point where Samoa just literally take the ball into contact. Mm. And he goes, that was terrible. That was almost English, their negative approach to take that in there. No, he didn't even say take it in, to to just Mm. go into contact rather than trying to go wide or something. Like, that's always an option every single time. There's a point where Johnny Wilkinson hits what is now a 50-22, and he goes, oh, well, he should have kept that in hand. He has a really talented backline outside him. It's the... I fundamentally don't think he was commentating on the game. I think that's why I feel okay laying into it, right? Like, Keith Quinn, you might have had moments where you're like... This guy still commentates. And I I hope he's... You know, I've not heard him commentate. Sure, sure. I think he's picked radio stuff. And... I'd imagine that he doesn't commentate like You'll this changed. anymore. changed, yeah. Yeah. Like, in the 80s, when we pick up on things that Keith Quinn did, or Nisbo, and occasionally Bill McLaren, yeah. it was because it was a very different era, and yeah. it's very different, and it's funny to look back on now. You yes. know, it's like when you look at news footage from the 40s. Exactly. And you're like, this is, the, and everything's so plummy, and RP, and whatever else. And it's very, very different. Yeah. It was like that. Here, I think this guy is fundamentally not commentating. No. He's not doing his job. Yeah. And it is There's, there's ego to it, yeah. which shouldn't be a part of commentary. No. And again, I could never do commentary. Yeah. Um, it sounds like such a yeah, oh, yeah, difficult yeah, yeah, yeah. job. But as a viewer, you understand what the job means. You yes. Know, you're describing rather than just going, oh, that was terrible in my opinion. And I think that they shouldn't pick this guy. You know, at one point he starts laying into the fact that they've selected Lawrence Delalio and gone, oh, well, that's aged badly, yeah. hasn't it? He's not playing. It's all so, so just grating, to use yeah. that word again. Yeah. So... For the time being, I'm going to park that. There might Please. be one or two instances where I point out something he says when we get there that I might have missed in my notes. But yes, we'll park that for the time being and look at the rugby. After a bit of a rallying period, mm. after Summer have had that drop goal go against him, and they have a bit of a period of, right, okay, let's just bash into them for a little bit and you know regain a little bit of faith and confidence, I yeah. think, in their game. And they do that because they're bloody big lads. And I think... Eventually, they wear down the England pack enough that they can eke a scrum penalty out of them. And clearly, that's certainly they're targeting. You know, that like England have Sheridan and Stevens, who are both great scrummagers. Mm. But if you run them around, they'll be slightly less good scrummagers <laughs> yes. against census bloody Johnston, who's massive. Yeah, he is the size of Samoa as an island itself. Yes. So they eke out scrum penalty and kick for goal. And you know what? Good on them that they've managed to get back into this game when they seemingly weren't playing for the first five minutes. Yeah, like, they hadn't been in it at all, and then he managed to scrape something to get them back in it. Yeah. And it's then, the game then kind of descends from that 10th minute onwards, from being a kind of interesting game where England had picked up a bit, to just being, for the rest of the half, I think it's kind of a farce. Mm. Like, I kind of think the first half, the first 10 minutes are fine Yeah, as a contest. The other half hour is pretty dreadful. It's the kind of definition of on in the background mm, game. Sure. Sure. And I found it really hard to give my actual concentration to this game yeah. as I was watching. I think, really, yeah, in the next sort of 20 minutes, there's just kind of a couple of exchange penalties for each team. Wilkinson misses one, which feels more notable than the one he gets. Yes, because Wilkinson, like, he kicks these from such acute angles. Mm. Like, he can be on the left-hand side, 40 metres out in the corner, and he will nail it with no trouble whatsoever. Yeah. And it's mad how much you can take that for granted. Whenever he misses from any position, I am shocked. Yes. No, 100%. And when he misses, that's when the commentators really lay into him and go, oh, he's not the player he once was, and shut up. A goal kick doesn't really mean anything. But he's also got, like, the other thing about Wilkinson in this game 
is the amount of passes he throws behind his man or he isn't quite landing mm. it. And he throws some absolute, like, peach balls, like the one to Martin Corey. Yeah. But he's also, like, you could tell he's coming back from a long injury and he hasn't played much in a long time. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Um, I think that's fair like, enough. there's a great deal of rustiness to him. He has to get into the game, you know, as he yeah. goes along, doesn't he? So th- yeah. this first half in particular, I think he is... He's shaking off some rust as he goes. Mm. And as I say, they lay into every possible mistake he makes along the yeah. way. There's a point, a great point where... So Wilkinson gets a penalty. As I said, they've exchanged a couple to get them to 16-6. And the penalty was for Semo Satiti going off his feet at a breakdown. And as soon as that happens, and the referee's done the little... You know, the inwards, uh, the hand gesture, where yes. it's just your hand goes inwards to... Uh, that's that's the hand gesture for off your feet. And then they cut up to Bill Beaumont in the crowd, who is sat next to Bernard Lapasse. And Bill Beaumont then does the exact same gesture. Goes, <laughs> oh, he's off his feet there. In that extreme... Because every time you see an old man watching rugby in a pub, every time there's a penalty given, he, they, they will tell you what it's for. Yes. So, oh, that was an offside there. Yeah, you're not allowed to do that. And it's just extremely on brand for Bill Beaumont to do that. <laughs> it is. But the thing is, Bill Beaumont is the face of all of those old men who exactly. watch rugby in pubs. Exactly. Or with their, like... So their son, who is... Thinks he's engaged with rugby, really what he does is just shout about how unfarrel shit. Yes. And their grandson... Who is had one county trial? <laughs> yeah, no. There's two. There's two players. Grandson, right? One is had one county trial and thinks Owen Farrell is shit, but also still has a poster of him on his wall. Yes, <laughs> and or is super, super, super into it and like follows like I don't know, like Lamar Pay on TikTok yeah. and is like <laughs> constantly telling them like, do you see what like bloody Lamar Pay has been up to this week? Okay, yeah, I get it, son. Yeah. I know. And every single time a try is scored, they go, good try. Yeah. You know, that guy. As in the old guy. The old guy, yeah. yeah Bill Beaumont. Loves rugby values. Oh, it's just it's good rugby, isn't it? Yeah. It's good to see people passing the ball around. Yeah, exactly. Better than football, clearly. I just found that really funny as a moment, though. Bill <laughs> Beaumont just very being a rugby granddad and just explaining what off-feet is to another international. <laughs> so there's sort of 20 minutes that go by, I think, without incident. Well, we kind of don't have anything to say here. Then England get into the 22 miraculously somehow again. I think the Samoan line-out is utter tripe. It is. To say they've picked an extra second row to try and get around this. It's not great. And also, uh, Wilkinson realises after a while and starts absolutely hammering them and kicking battles. Yes. Just kicking for touch all the time. All the time. And despite having the three best second rows they'll produce this generation all on the field at once, it's a mess. There's one point where Wilkinson in two kicks, goes from his own try line to the opposition 10-metre line Wow! Yeah. in a kicking battle. And obviously the commentators on the first one go, oh, he's mistouched there, I can't believe it, that's a terrible kick, he should bloody go to prison again. But no, like he's clearly really thought this through of how to tactically play this. Johnny Wilkinson is a player I would love to watch drop into any year of rugby. Yes. Because I think he would adapt inside two games to anything. You dropped him into like 87 and he would be so overpowered it'd be ridiculous. Mm. Yeah. You drop into modern rugby and he would be a really great He's so smart. international fly half, even if he hadn't been given the kind of like conditioning tactical changes that have taken place in the last 10 sure. years since he retired. I think there'll be so much he would just adapt to instantly. You do it in 10 years' time, and I think he would adapt again seamlessly in a week. Yeah. I just, I wish I could do that. I wish I could. That's an experiment of like, he's maybe the player I want to see dropped into different rugbies the most I agree I agree you look at like these days you've still got players like Johnny Sexton and Dan Bigger are still quite effective yeah. and at the top of his game as in like in his Toulon days 
Wilkinson is as good a fly-off, if not better, than both of those guys. Yeah, yeah, better. Yeah. Which I think speaks volumes about how good he would still be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yes, England get into the Samoan 22, you were saying. Yes. And they pound away at some bullshit for quite a long time. Watching England attack is really dull. It is. Really boring. Really in the background What do you think they were doing in training? Just saying like, oh yeah, you set a pod and then you just run. They were just waiting for Wilkinson to get out of prison. Yeah. (laughs) Just sitting and watching him. Yeah. Except for, funny you ask, Ollie Barkley, but more on that later. So Stop teasing me. So Wilkinson then gets it and they have like a tiny overlap, like Samoa Mm. should have it covered. And it's Mapasura and it's like, it's well covered, whatever. And he puts through the deftest little grubber that changes direction at the last second. Yes. Like it's bouncing sideways and it straightens up. Really difficult skill. Like really underrated, difficult bit of skill. Sits up directly for Paul Saki. It's so good that Paul Saki scores off his wing. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Running a curved line outside him. And to be fair, Paul Saki's pretty fast. His acceleration is great and he gets there quickly. Can I say something harmful and upsetting to my reputation? Go on. Paul Saki has a really good game. Yeah, he does. He Paul does. Saki is superb in this game. Because <laughs> I don't know why, but I see Paul Saki as a bit of a novelty. It's probably because he played in this era of English rugby and yeah. got like, what, 15 caps or something? Like 22 caps. 22 caps, okay. But there's something, there's something, there's an air of novelty to Paul Saki for me. But this game slightly altered that because I was like, oh wait, that's, he's actually quite good, isn't he? This is the first time I've rated Paul Saki watching this game. Yeah. Because I remember him as a joke. Yeah. You know, he was kind of the winger that you bring up in like, because he played in such a shit England team. Yeah. He's a Lee Calvert player. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, because again, if you look at his career, right, like most of his caps came against the likes of the USA and Canada for ages until this World Cup where suddenly they start going, Whoa, Paul Saki is class, isn't he? He's rapid. Yeah. And he sort of has like between here and 2009. Yes. Sort of in and out the team. Yeah. And then he has the year where Monu overtakes him and then Monu stays in the team and then 2011 comes around and, yeah, and Ashton Chris Ashton appears happens. and Ben Foden appears and it all starts to shift from there. Yeah. But Paul Saki, fun fact, has since gone on to be a big ambassador for Ghanaian rugby. I see. Because he's of Ghanaian heritage. He should go and play for them. He should. He should. Come out of retirement. Then I'll rate him. Yeah, yeah, damn right. That's your challenge, Paul Saki, if you're listening. But yeah, Wilkinson's grub is outstanding there. Yes. It brings the score to 23-6, which is a fantastic lead mm. against this Samoan team. They have come back from the 10-0 down, and they've battled, and they've really slowed the game down and made it quite boring yeah. for a little bit. And that's what they needed to do, so England don't run away. So for England to then rally from there and make it a 23-6 lead, that's fantastic. Mm. And so that takes us like deep into the first half, towards the end. Then, right, right as we get to the end, with two minutes to go in the half, Samoa are on the edge of the 22, and they find themselves kind of given like a miraculous penalty from like, I think it's Martin Corey being a dickhead. Yeah. And they're presented with this chance, and they're like, well, we're quite a way behind, as you say, where they're sort of, what, like 14, 16 points behind? Yeah, yeah. And it looks quite tricky. The normal option would be to go for the corner. But instead, they drop it down, put it on the tee, and knock it over. And it goes to 23-9. Yes. Which isn't a hugely flattering scoreline. But it's one of these examples, right, of going for goal actually being backing yourself. Because it means they get a second play. Yes. Which they wouldn't have done if they'd gone for the corner. And they set up, and then they set, and then they took the conversion and everything else. Even if they scored the try from the mall, 
they're probably not getting another play. Yeah. Input that down, down immediately and knocking it over inside a minute means there is another play in the half. Yeah. At which point, what you talked about, Wilkins are kicking incredibly smartly. Samoa's kicking game is superb for a minute. Yes, for one minute, exactly. They managed to get to the England 22. There's this lovely point where Joe Takori gets the ball, has it in one hand, one hand dummies one way, one side to Tuolangi and then pops it to Lima on the other side, mm. which is pretty filthy. And Joe Takori is literally just a box of tricks, but that's that was a lot of fun. But yes, carry yes. on. No, so they have Samoa have put in like three or four great kicks in a row, just back and forth, and end up winning themselves another penalty, which is even more kickable in an even better position for yeah. Lucky Crichton. Yeah, and obviously he knocks that over. Yeah. To make it 23-12 at halftime, which is respectable, so again, for Samoa. Their decision to take the three has led them getting six. Yeah. Which actually is a really strong result. Because if they really got to the corner, even if they scored from a mall, there's a good chance they're only getting five out of that. Yeah. Like, there's really good captaincy yeah. to go for that. It's and gone really well for them. And suddenly it changes the momentum a bit, I think. Yeah. The fact they scored twice rather than once as well is significant. By the way. And so quickly, in quick, so, quick, so, in so quick, quick, blah, blah, blah. Yes. A quick word for the other penalty that happens just before that, where Wilkinson tries to do a little grubber kick, it deflects off Lima, and he drops on it, and then Lima just absolutely eats him on the floor. (laughs) For some reason, Wilkinson gets pinged, but I'm pretty sure that the reason why he got pinged was just to discourage Wilkinson from being anywhere near Brian Lima for the rest of the game. Which I think would be a good idea. I think it would be a great idea. Yeah. As Johnny Wilkinson's actual chiropractor, yes. I don't want him seeing any others. Yes. So, so yeah, we half get into half time. We get into half time. Twenty three twelve, which is not as bad as you'd have thought. No, if you're Samoa, because it looked pretty one sided, but in a very uninteresting way. Yes, where Samoa just sort of had frustrated them, but hadn't really turned up and done anything productive. Correct. Yeah. So second half starts mm. and. Much like the last game we covered, the first thing that happens is an accidental offside and England shoot themselves in the foot and Samoa get a scrum. And they run what I think is a really effective strike move off this, Mm -hmm. which is take it out from the nine position, do a dummy switch with Brian Lima, then do an actual switch with Alizana Tuolangi. In fact, I don't think it's even a dummy. I think they give a switch to both. Yeah. that Lima takes on the switch, who then does a switch with Tuolangi. And obviously, the England centers are like, well, what the hell are we meant to do about this? And shoot up offside to try and cover it and get pinged. The amazing thing about that is, right, the move would work just as well if you just gave it to Tuolangi. Yeah. Like, the impact of that move is Tuolangi coming with the ball at pace yeah. rather than any deception. Yes. But you know what? I'm here for it nonetheless. Absolutely. Um, so I'm all get a penalty and immediately shrink the gap to 23-15. So eight points in it. Yeah. Again, not too bad. All the momentum's with them. Very, very interesting shift, I think. Yeah. The fact that in two minutes either side of half time, England have gone from incomplete control to suddenly starting to worry a bit. Yeah. Samoa have more than doubled their lead in inside, what, three in-game minutes? Mm. But I think there's something that happens over this full game, right? Where Samoa... Wait, what happened at half time, by the way? We all know what happened <laughs> Of course, Jack, yes. Well, so the first 10 minutes, right? Samoa are kind of hit by England very hard. And then I think from there, there's kind of a realisation by Samoa throughout the rest of that half that England are actually shit. (laughs) And they kind of just start to wait for them to make mistakes and try Mm. and lull them into it. So it's a lot of just sending big runners into their face and kicking the ball to them and just letting them do things. Because they're like, they're not a threat for us. 
Like, we'll be fine. And they start to play far less rugby, and they get far more reward from it. Yeah, yeah. You're right. As long as they're physical in D, mm. that's all really matters for them. Yeah. And slowly, they eke three points over and over again. Mm. And Crichton's on a hell of a bit of kicking form here. Nailing everything. You know, yeah. 100% in this game. Wow. Okay, um, fair enough. Which is six from six, which is not a bad strike yes. rate at all. But you talk about the beauty of kicking the ball and stuff. Mm. There is the moment that this game is known for comes up very early on in the second half. Yes. And we kind of have to talk about that. So England find themselves with a bit of an overlap on the left-hand side around the halfway mark. Yeah, just inside their own half. Yeah. And Wilkinson goes, oh, you know what? Yeah, we might as well go for this. We've got Cueto, that rapid left winger of ours. I'll, I'll throw a bit of a miss ball to him. And looks on the outside, and this is crucial, he spins his head to look on the outside and goes, yes, my back line are looking great here. And it is very crucial at this point that he is looking to the left-hand side because, bang! Brian Gosh Darned Lima, the Cairo Gosh Darned Practor, <laughs> examining his ribs. Doing slightly more than examining them. Yes. Puts TNT on the inside of them. Amazing how little I noticed it live. Really? But yeah. Like, I was just following the ball. Mm. And following what was actually happening. And was, oh, then... that's a shit pass by Wilkinson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because then David Lemmy picks it up and tries to run it in from there. Yeah. Does not get away with it. But no, actually, because the referee sticks his hand up and goes, murder. <laughs> not allowed. You killed a man. And so it is penalised. But yeah, this is the, the famous Brian Lima hit on Wilkinson. Yes. Which is now regarded as one of the biggest, Dexin. most shockingest... Yeah. Hardest, hittest in the rugby. It's Lima's trademark, isn't it? Yeah. I also, I love the reverse angle where you can see Wilkinson then get up after the hit and the camera's on him and you can see him mouth the words, fucking hell, ref! <laughs> Which is so unlike Johnny. <laughs> it was said in the plummiest way possible. Exactly. You can see it in the most RP way, mm. the words, fucking hell, ref. And I love it. I remember once borrowing a book from a library by Johnny Wilkinson on his rugby advice on how to do good rugby. And why wasn't that in there? Yeah. How to swear at a referee. <laughs> Remember to be really well-spoken when you swear at the ref. They will listen to you, because you have presence. Yes. Johnny Wilkinson, and this is the most impressive thing he does all day, is he rises from the dead to not like kick over from 40 metres. Yeah. For they always tackle. leave that out when they do it, you know. Bleep. Tri-savers and rib breakers didn't have that in there, did it? Yeah, exactly. And Andrew Ford, if you're listening, <laughs> next time includes the dog on the pitch before the Kerwin try. Exactly what I was about to bring and up. And include Wilkinson nailing it after he just gets bloody murdered. Yeah. It's genuinely phenomenal that yeah. he, after getting nailed by Brian Lima, the, of all people, nails that The that fact penalty. that you can see his spirit, the ghost of him, like outside of his body, watching his, like... <laughs> inanimate corpse try and knock it over he drills that penalty as a corpse yeah from another realm yeah like on autopilot he's off negotiating with the devil yes. as he knocks it over yeah so England go to 26-15 up which is a little bit more safe but it really depends on what Samoa are going to do next because there's a very nice point coming up where they yes. get the ball to Elias Fumanosipolo in the backfield. So Fumanosipolo gets the ball in the back of the field. Yes. Uh, I believe they call it the backfield. Yes. 
and he goes for an absolutely terrible chip kick. <laughs> it's rubbish, his chip kick. Maybe in real gets time. To head height. It doesn't look good at all. Have you considered maybe that was deliberate? Well, yes. But it happens to fly between two England players' shoulders, considering it's flying at, like, chest height. It's extremely light. He gets very lucky with where it goes. You may say it's deliberate. I will give you some points on that. It's also not ideal. <laughs> but it lands, it bounces around his knees, and he's able to do a lovely little flick. Yeah, lifts it to Lima running onto it. Mm. Who then draws and gives himself, Soft after a little, Lima. like, burst of pace, to right out on the wing... I'm such a fanboy of this moment as soon as this guy gets involved. Mahonri Schrauger. The hooker, the soon-to-be captain of this team. An inspirational favourite figure. One of the all-time great wall dance leaders. Yes. And just a great leader. And but just... What a player. Really always a hard-working hooker mm. rather than big skill set guy. Yes. Shows a great turn of pace down the wing, doesn't yeah. he? I think Ken Owens is kind of the modern counterpart. Yeah, okay. You know, yeah. In the, like, he's in the team for his leadership and his work rate. Not his gas. Yeah. Not his gas, not his skill set, not anything else. Yeah, sudden burst of pace down the wing to outpace his man. The fullback comes across like, oh shit. In fact, this his man is only Mark Cueto, so. I, still, you know, played 100 games on the wing for sale. Yeah. For sale, but still. Yeah. Um, <laughs> who probably will be Premiership champions by the time most people are listening to this. That's what a weird world we're living in now. And he goes, you know what? I see a way out of this. Puts in a kick. And at that point I go, oh, okay, the grubber's an interesting option here. I've never seen Mo Schwalga kick a ball. No. I've barely seen him pass a ball. Yeah. And him, he drops it onto the right boot. And it's not even a grubber. It's like a nicely weighted chip mm. in field, which lands on the try line. It's... Almost a goal-faced Lloyd Williams kick. Yeah, a little bit. It's a it's little bit It's not quite, but it's no. close. At that point, the camera then shifts across, and you see Junior Pollo is herring after this, and he's winning the race. So he goes, and it's Wilkinson against him. Wilkinson, I think, is confident it's going dead, so doesn't want to touch it down. He's happy to you know, take the scrum back rather than mm. taking a drop out. So kind of leaves the ball as he dives, as he gets there first. Yes. And Pollo reaches out, and initially I thought he'd gone to bat it back in the field of play, because mm. there's another Samoan behind him. He slaps the ball, doesn't he? He snatches yeah. at it, yeah. And initially I thought he'd bat it back, and I thought someone else was going to have to dive on this. Then, the referee goes upstairs, and from the first angle you're like, oh, he hasn't got that, that's fine. Yeah. Then from every other angle there afterwards, it starts to become clear, he's got that down. He's managed to just about dot it down. There's con- there is a moment where there is grass, ball, hand. And that is a try. It's unconventional, but it's a really good way to finish that try. Yeah. I... Like, with the roly-poly? Wrote down Polly chance in my notes, because I did not think this was going to be a try. A roly as I could call it. Nice. Then, my notes start to go batshit, as I noticed it was going to be a try. <laughs> oh, try. Go on, read it out. Hold on. Yes, Samoa. Try. Mo, 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 mo. <laughs> yeah. Then, talk objectively, you bellend. Great. Because yeah. the commentator then says, I think that is the, the right thing for the game. It's a good thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, go, just talk. Shut up. Uh, and then he starts talking about how he's a Eng- no, Scotland fan rather than an England fan. It's like, shut up, no one cares. Talk about how this has got Samoa back in the game and it's good for Samoa. And it's a brilliant rather... bloody try. Yeah. The big man, Mo Schwalga, with all the skills to set that up. The pace, the kick, the accuracy, the waiting on it. It's gorgeous. It's phenomenal. What a brilliant try that Didn't is. Didn't think he had it in the locker. 
No. Genuinely really didn't. No. Yeah. Surprised me so much to see. And th- I think I've probably seen this try and highlights package before. I don't, but know I don't if think I, have. I yeah. ever knew that Mo Schwal could put in the kit. Yeah. I think I always assumed that would have been Mapasua. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it smells like a Mapasua thing to do, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Nonu before there was but Nonu. Schwalger. I've felt proud of him. Seeing a favourite hardworking player of mine put in the skills like that. Yeah. Just absolutely loved it. Just love to see it, don't you? So Crichton knocks over the conversion, which brings the score to 26-22. Yes. Suddenly there's almost nothing in it out of absolutely nowhere. Yeah. And the rest of the second half then, for the next 10, 15, 20 minutes, becomes far more open, yet less is happening. Yeah. Both teams, well, no, Samoa are running the ball far more. England are still kicking the lever off it, but they're not getting the same returns out of it. Sure. Wilkinson misses a right foot to drop goal at one yes. point, which again I think was quite a good option to go for, just mm. to really just create a little bit of separation because there's only four points in it at this stage, and it is getting quite tight, you know. Yeah, uh, as you say, like the game itself is opening up, but Samoa are loving that because they're getting yeah. chance to show their skills, and like there's a point where Henry Tuolangi makes a break, and then offload to Alizana Tuolangi who also makes a break, and when you've got players like this, they will get through, they will score tries. Yeah. There's an enormous shot that Maria puts on Jack in the second yeah, half. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's they a stay big, down like, there for a while, don't yeah. they? Yeah, <laughs> like he got to finish and she didn't. You know, yeah. she gets he then gets pulled off. Um, Great. Great. Was that deliberate? No. Great. Do you know what was deliberate though? There's a great point where Semo Sititi is 50 meters offside, <laughs> and he just keeps going. Just really He's like, What are you it? doing, mate? Don't back down. Double down. <laughs> What are you doing? You're the captain. But he's clearly got a sense of like, I'm going to talk the ref out of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be fine. One of the summer, I think it's Crichton, puts this booming 50 metre kick downfield and it bounces just next to the touchline and then back in field. And clearly what he thinks has happened is, oh, it's gone into touch. So I'll just stand here and block the line out, you know, so they can't go quickly, which you're allowed to do for Mm. an offside position. But the board doesn't go into touch in the first place. So he just tries to stop the counter attack and the ref's just like, what are you doing? <laughs> Have you seen this game before? Yeah. Though, can I make an out-of-date ref bashing moment? Go on. If it was Matt Carley in 2017 and he'd have allowed it, it would have a try. Well, hey. that's, that actually happened, yeah. yeah. And Alan Davis, as they could call it, it's Alan Lewis, but the commentators think he's Alan Davis. <laughs> Davis. Obviously penalises yeah. him and just goes like, yeah, you're offside. It's like, what do you mean I'm offside? Can I have a moment, just while we're talking about brief moment on penalties? Yes. How high the standard this has made me realise of rolling away is now. Mm. There are things that would get pinned as rolling away penalty or not rolling away penalties Quite nowadays. Most breakdowns. Yeah. That are in this era, just like, fine, you know, you've made an effort, you've got there. Yeah. It's the standard at the ruck has become so high for what is penalised now. Yeah. Which is making it impossible. And it's why, like, when people complain about Yako Piper's breakdown interpretation or whatever, like, he is so much harsher than the harshest referee in this World Cup in 2007. Yes. In every breakdown. Yeah. And it's we're chasing an impossible standard in rugby continually. Yeah. Um, the game, it does speed the game up massively. It does. It does. It does. And that is to be celebrated. Yeah. But the way that Piper and Luke Pierce and, you know, a handful of other referees referee the breakdown speeds the game up. Yeah. And therefore you, you have to let certain things go. That's it. Yeah, you do. You do. And it speeds the game up massively. It does also mean there's a lot more collisions. In yeah. a game of rugby. Yeah. Which, you know, is very taxing on people's bodies and so on. But no, you're right. Like, obviously you can't penalise everything that breaks down. But in this, looking at this World Cup, clearly the same standard is held. 
but you look at every single breakdown and go like, oh my God, look how much cheating is going on yes. in there. Well, just like doing that little Alan Wynn video that probably would have gone out the same day as this, probably a few hours after this yes. podcast has gone up. So spoilers. We're pulling out clips from Alan Wynn's early career from like 2000 and, you know, six, seven, eight. The amount of forwards going into breakdowns regularly where you've got like yeah. eight or nine people in breakdown sometimes. Yeah. Which is absurd. And that's starting to drop out a bit here. But it was still happening yeah. like a year before this. Also, so with the Alamon video, you also mentioned Justin Tipperick. Mm. Quickly on that, at one point early in this game, Nick Easter gets a turnover from the no offside line yes! for the tackle thing. And I looked at that and I always attribute that to Justin Tipperick because yeah, that, he was, that so good was his it. thing until yeah. they outlawed it. They ruined it. They ruined him. Yeah. They ruined everything. No one ruined it. Yeah, him. big up Nikista getting one of those turnovers. Enjoyed that. Also, Semis Titi bloody loves a turnover, doesn't he? He's gets good. He has a, a good game. Quite crucial ones in the second half when England starts to try and build something. And speaking of crucial in England building something, 69 minutes, Johnny Wilkinson finally gets his second most iconic drop goal in the Rugby World Cup. Yes, as he does. He knocks one over. This one. Again, weird this weird moment where you go, I think that is the correct decision, but we can't I definitely certain. think it's the correct decision. Yeah. Moves um, it to a seven point gap. Yeah. Uh, I really, really like that. Again, mm. like it's it, he sees Summer as a credible threat and yeah. just knows, you know what, we could lose this if we don't actually build a lead here. But it's extraordinary that when I saw the score line, the final score being England forty four, Samoa twenty two. When it's 22-26, I can't see a way that England are possibly getting that. Yeah, you don't think it's going to happen this way around, do you? Especially you, when like when England are four points up, there is a point where Josh Lucy throws a oh, really yes. horrible pass that Lemmy hacks along the floor and you think he's going to finish this. Yeah. And obviously he doesn't. Like Lucy does has a, a fantastic effort to get back and then fumbles the ball into touch. So like it's still he does a good thing yeah. and also drops the ball twice. Samoa end up with a scrum five, right? Yes. Which they go into bomb. But there's still a situation where Samoa have the scrum five, they're four points behind, there are 12 minutes left in the game, and you're thinking, I don't, you think, can Samoa go on and win this? And then remember what the final score is, because I knew going in. How do England possibly, from the situation where they're about to lose the game with 12 minutes to go, yes. how do they go on to score 44 points? Them. Yeah. How do they score maybe, another 18 unanswered points? Maybe the fact that Samoa had a scrum five and were potentially about to score the winning try against England. Maybe that's what you were thinking when that scrum was setting. But do you want to know what the commentators were thinking? Oh, boy. Yeah, shut up. So, for anyone who didn't hear that, he said, well, if England do go on and lose this game, at least they can form a band, because Andrew Sheridan plays the guitar, George Shooter plays the saxophone, and, like, Martin Curry plays the drums or something. There was somebody, somebody else he mentioned, and it's just like, yeah, the referee's just given Samoa a free kick, and they're about to, like, try and score off this. This should be a really tense moment. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. I, the I found that really funny. That. Yeah. And talking about the band that don't exist and saying like, you know what though? If they did lose and look, let's set the scene. England have just lost. It's a massive blow for them. They've lost to Samoa. Again, they're expected to win by, I don't know, 22 points or even three points according to the AI. <laughs> yeah. That was what the AI predicted would be the scoreline. Kevin the tipster said England would go on and win this. And yet they've come out and they've lost. And, uh, in the post-match interview, 
they say they talk to Brian Ashton he goes yeah it's really disappointing for the boys you know obviously there's some some heads down in the changing rooms I would say that maybe 19 out of 22 of the lads in our changing rooms are really really disappointed and they go okay well England captain Martin Curry was unavailable so instead they've sent in uh, Andrew Sheridan to come in and uh, and talk about this game and he goes yeah actually you know what I don't really mind it I'm I'm actually at peace with the fact that we've lost to Samoa. They played very well today. But you know what? What's more important? We just started a band. In the change rooms afterwards, we were like, you know what? This fucking sucks. We just lost to Samoa. And I'm feeling pretty gloomy about this. But you know what I like? I can play the guitar. Anyone want me to uh, play the guitar and cheer us up? So he gets the guitar out of his kit bag and starts strumming The A-Team by Ed Sheeran, which Ed Sheeran hasn't written yet, but that's always what's played in the corner of the room in the guitar. And they're like, okay, shut up, we've just lost. All of our heads are down, Sherry. Don't you realise? He goes, okay, but I can play Wonderwall. At which point George Shooter goes, oh, and I can play the saxophone. And actually, I brought it with me in my kit bag. And Darren Sheeran goes, no way, we've both brought instruments in our kit bag. We should start a band. And he does. He gets it out of his bag and starts playing along with it. And then whoever the other guy was that he mentioned plays an instrument, goes along and Matt Stevens who obviously went on the X Factor starts singing yes. along and they form this band and suddenly they're like you know what it's okay I know we lost the Samoa but actually we're still happy humans on the inside <laughs> that is amazing how many bands formed after losing to Samoa yeah you know, it's like everyone forgets that three out of the four members of the Stereophonics were in the <laughs> at least we weren't playing the whole Samoa game yeah yeah, like, yeah. that was yeah. how they met actually funnily enough ZZ Top used to be the Georgian front row yeah hence the beards <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's, it's actually, it's very funny. It's very good. It's just a truly extraordinary fact that I feel like not enough people are, are truly digging into. You know, famously, Girls Aloud came second on Pop Stars Arrivals, but they got the bigger career. <laughs> and Samoa they, won. They, yeah. They lost the Samoan national rugby team. Yeah. Same so one direction. One direction on went X-Factor. out the X Factor. Yeah. yeah. Lost, of course. Yeah. To Soleil the Mapasua. And look at Harry Styles now. Look how well he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> that'll teach you Lockie Crichton <laughs> anyway when Wilkinson goes to that drop goal he's so heavily booed by the crowd and it's just grow up yeah like you want to win the game but also they're in it's, France yeah but I just feel like that's England fans like really taking this game for granted they're just mm. like oh no no we, we're yeah. going to we're always going to beat Samoa forgetting the fact that three minutes earlier they were on their own trial line <laughs> yeah and it's just like it's clearly the idiots who go and watch the expensive England games like if you um, go, ah, not rolling away. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's, it's the Bill Beaumont types. So after that, the, the lead extended to seven. Samoa put the kickoff out on the fall and England get a penalty from the scrum. And immediately they get another shot for goal yeah. through Wilkinson from halfway. And he goes, thank you very much. I shall take this kindly and bangs it right over. Yeah. 10 point lead now, 32 22. They've killed Samoa off in two minutes. This is the moment where I start to see, oh, this is how they score 44 points. Yes, Wilkinson's going to drop goals everywhere for the next yes. eight minutes. There's a point where I get excited that Lolo Louis come on. Yes. Um, former seven superstar. He didn't do anything, like, <laughs> but I, I love him. He's a good player. And then they announced on the commentary that Lockie Crichton's got man of the match. Yeah. What? It's like 10 minutes to go. They just go, well, that fullback has kicked everything for Samoa. He has a perfectly fine game. Yeah. Great goal kicking display. Yeah. Perfectly fine in other attributes. Yeah, man of the match. Great. Fair play. Fair play to you, Loki. Yeah. He is Loki man of the match. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And then England start to actually like 
do stuff. Grind forward a bit. They score and the commentator still moans and goes, oh, but that's a terrible try. It's like, that's literally what we've been trying to tell them to do <laughs> yeah. all game. So that was confusing. So Paul Classic. Saki gets the ball in space. Yeah. Good pass by Wilkinson. Gets him into space a bit. It's the only moment in the game, the lead up to this try, where we start to see the Wilkinson-Barkley axis yes. actually do literally anything. speculating about for 78 minutes. Yeah, because I don't think they get the ball in sequence. I don't think they work. Like, it is the least successful 10-12 like, playmaking axis I've ever seen. People yeah. talk about Smith and Farrell and stuff. And like, no, that was work. There was, stuff that, that was, was plenty great. of stuff that was working there, right? Wilkinson and Barkley, completely anonymous and pointless. But more on Ollie Barkley later. Oh no! So Wilkinson managed to get Paul Saki finally, like as you say, into some space, and the sudden injection of pace is enormous. The acceleration's class, isn't yeah. Bursts right through between two tackles before they can prepare to tackle him, which is the key bit. It's not like he burst the tackle; mm. like they are lowering themselves to ready their shoulder as he's passing them. Yeah, the sudden like burst of acceleration really catches them off guard. He gets up to the twenty, or he gets solidly into the twenty-two. Ten meters out, finally someone gets to him. Crichton gets across, manages to haul him towards the ground, and he manages to throw the pass inside to Martin Corey, who happens to be in the right place at a time that is vaguely fortunate. Yes. It didn't scan to me before that that's Corey's second try of the game. Weird. They both felt coincidental. (laughs) Yep. And you know, again, good on him. You don't get a brace for that. No, Like, if you just happen to accidentally score twice. Yeah. To be in the right place to score twice. Yeah. No. Yeah, good try. Yeah, perfectly good try. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you don't get extra points on your match report for scoring two tries when they're like that. No. But yeah, so they score that with enough time for the kickoff and a little bit more. So that's sort of scored like, yeah, 77, 78 minutes, I'd say. Yeah, 76. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Wilkinson knocks over the conversion and we go, hey, do you know what would be lovely? What if we just keep going? Yeah. What if the game keeps on playing? Because. Twice the ball goes out of play after it turns red, and the referee Alan Lewis is just like, "Yeah, fine, solid, yeah. sound, play on." Just set set for a line out. That'd be cool. Yeah, and again, I feel like we're rattling through this as though there's been a billion tries in this game, but the the tries have that energy. I think yes, of like we've really just worn them down. So yeah, Wilkinson takes it quite flat to the line, hits the inside ball for Saki coming mm. onto it who just accelerates again. It's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Again, gets on the outside, managed to round the wing and fullback and score in the corner. It's like, it's a fantastic finish. This brilliant. is the highlight reel moment for him, I think. Yes. This is the big England highlight reel The step and the him. pace are fantastic. Yeah. It's not just a great finish. It's, he's got an awful lot of work to do and yeah. he does it sublimely. Yes. Very, very strong performance. Fantastic finish in the last play of the game. And the crowd all start booing Wilkinson for the conversion. Says it all, fuck off. <laughs> Couldn't have put it better myself. Yeah. Which leaves us in a weird position now, right? Where England have won this game in the end comfortably. They managed to have the bonus point right at the end, despite not looking like it at all. But looking like Samoa would get a losing bonus point with three minutes ago. And they nabbed this. So England are now in a comfortable position where they should qualify from the group out of nowhere. Yeah. Thanks yeah. to two performances where they played poorly but somehow nabbed maximum points. Yeah. It's kind of annoying because they've been shite yeah. in all of these games. And like, this is their best performance by a long way so far. You look through the team, right? Nick Easter, barely knows who's playing. Yeah. Joe Worsley, I remember who's playing because of the bloody 
thing in the first minute. Yeah. Ben K, I didn't know was playing till right now. I'm looking over the team sheet. It's a shame he didn't get that involved. Yeah. Also, they brought Steve Borthwick off the bench, which is nice. Hey. Like, Shaw's he played. I didn't even realise that. Yeah. Simon Shaw. Yeah. Yeah, it's like shit. basically everyone other than Wilkinson is anonymous in this Don't game. Don't get me wrong, and part Saki. of that is probably down to the fact that the commentators weren't actually commentating on the yeah, game. Yeah, that's true, that's true. Like, especially like someone like Gomesol, I didn't know was playing because the commentators didn't talk yeah. about players and who, who was doing things rather than just complaining. There's a point where Josh Lucy puts in a really good kick in the second half and I realised Josh Lucy was playing. Yeah. And again, part of that is commentary. Part of yeah. that is just this England team feeling just very anonymous and out of sure, place. And sure. no one is clicking with each other. And no combination is working in itself. And the players individually are good enough. Like, every player in this team is fundamentally a good player. Yeah. And deserves to be playing for England in a World Cup. Yes. That's fine. None of them work in the combinations they're in. No, Wilkinson agreed. and Gomesov doesn't work as a halfback combination. <laughs> That's a weird combination. Easter, Worsley, Corey doesn't work as a back row combination. Mm. Kay and Short does work as a second row pairing. That's absolutely does. That's fine. Absolutely does. And in midfield, like, Ollie Barkley and Matthew Tate should make sense. Yeah. They sound like two players that should click together as a 12 and 13. Once again. But they I, just don't. I think it's probably not a bad thing. Kay and Shaw, it's probably not a bad thing that we didn't really notice them because yeah, clearly yeah, they were just yeah. getting their heads down and, and like, doing the unflashing The line out was completely dominant. It was really good. So actually, in fairness, we probably just have overlooked that. That probably is a commentary thing that they just haven't mentioned the good yeah. things done by and sometimes. The weird nature of watching games for this podcast is you do watch them in a slightly more disposable way than watching them live. Sure, sure. And because you're making notes and you're trying to come up with things mm. to talk about, and it's it's different to watching things live, and you do consume things differently. Yeah. So like, I often end up missing stuff at the line out or missing things that scrub, you know, and there's doing stoppages or whatever because you're yeah. just like you're approaching it differently. But um, with all of this, my dick of the day is Jonathan Harris Bass, the commentator. I literally couldn't have given it to anybody else. I okay. In the last twenty minutes of the game. And I checked this. I should have done this earlier in the game. He complains at least once in every single minute of the last 20 Jesus. of the game. And does like, in my opinion, I think that's terrible. I think this player's terrible. I think this guy can't do this. I think their game plan's rubbish. I think they're low on confidence. He did that in every single one of the last 20 minutes of the game. And wow. I assume he did it in the entire, like for, throughout the rest of the game. Bar, like I reckon out of the 80 minutes, he would have complained at least 71, 72 of them. Yeah, it feels about that way. So I had been fairly set on who my dick of the day was going to be, right? I did have an idea, and you have convinced me. I've come round. Okay. I am completely with you. The commentary, yeah, fair enough. Bloody Jonathan getting the bin. Yeah, does his best to ruin the game. Like. Yeah. Because well, I'm going to jump to the man of the match very quickly, very okay. suddenly. But right? before you do it, who was meant to be your dick of the day? I'm going to get to that. Okay. Okay. Oh, so shit. my <laughs> Is this Ollie Barkley? <laughs> no. My... So my man of the match was going to be... He's going to be... My man of the match here is Johnny Wilkinson. Okay. Right? I think he is the best player on the pitch. I think he is extraordinary. He wins the game for England. Kicks everything. Kicks superbly. Is incredibly smart. Has direct hands in like both the tries in the first half. Like, and the second half, like less directly so, but still does. And yeah, just like the best player on the pitch across the board, right? Yeah. My dick of the day was also going to be Johnny Wilkinson because I think he is so far below his usual standards. <laughs> And I know Johnny Wilkinson would probably have come off going, God, I really didn't play oh, well at all. Today. That was terrible. Yeah. And I think sometimes you've got to, you've got to give in to that little mm. ego he's got for himself or sure. the id. And I was going to give him both, but no, just, he's just getting man of the match yeah. now. I mean, yeah, Johnny Wilkinson's literally the only contender for man of the match for me. Yeah. Literally, I didn't, didn't have anybody else well, written thought, down. As I said, all. I thought Paul Sackey had a good game, which is just a weird sense of never giving him like man of the five match. times yeah. in the game, if that, like, Johnny Wilkinson, for me, completely wins the game for England. I think the yeah. way he approaches this tactically is fantastic. I think his skill set's brilliant. I think passes he throws, the kick he puts in for Saki, the drop goals that he does, 
they're all fantastic and I think they're all so necessary to England's eventual destiny of getting the bonus point and wearing Samoa down. Yeah. I think he's so crucial and necessary in leading England to this victory and it's annoying hyping him up during the 37 period and everyone's doing that wrongly but he is literally the only player I have written down as a potential man of the match contender here yeah. from either team. I, I don't think anybody else is nearly on his level. No, I... The I only agree, pers- yeah. other person I've written down is, when we started this, I wrote down Maria's name, just in case I was to give her Man of the Match. Because she actually once got Man of the Match before in the 87 series when we had Leon. Oh. We gave Maria Man of the Match. Yes, 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 of course. Do you think he's the same Maria? Yeah, I think so. Yes, 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 of course, is actually what they said during half-time. Mapasua, I think, again, also solid. Yeah, always is. So with the Man of the Match in Dick of the Day... And I have one more question before we finish this podcast altogether. Mm. Why did you keep teasing Ollie Barkley all the way through? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? So Ollie Barkley, obviously, during this whole competition, was about to enter his second life once he gets dropped by England forevermore as a writer for a lads pack. Yes. Where infamously he talked repeatedly about locking his missus in the basement. Yes, and listening to Crew Valmada. Yes. So I thought there was only... One possible way that we could find out what was truly going on during this period. Ah, I see. So I went to the police and found the records. Okay. By Funnily enough, they now write police records as short stories. Yeah. Um, Not the records on Johnny Wilkinson, though, why he ended up in prison. No. Maybe another time. No, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, so I just wanted to know what happened when Ollie Barkley started writing his music column. And locked his missus in the basement. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to. So know. I asked an AI. I'd never really used AI stuff before doing any of this. No. So I, maybe I got caught up in the giddiness of being like, <laughs> Yeah. Jack and Maria do not feature. Okay. So obviously this is going to be a very thrilling story, right? I'm very excited. I'm I, very excited. I'm not excited, but I'm many things. Do you know what I am excited about, though? What? Argentina against Namibia. Which is the next game of the podcast. Is the next game of the podcast. That's going to be a lot of fun, next week, probably. The bloody rugby season is over in Europe. So, no, not in France. It's over in the UK. Yes. So, the only thing left, the only rugby coverage you'll find that isn't on French rugby will be this. Yeah. That's going to be a lot of fun. And join us for that. But before that, we have some important business to cover. English rugby hero, Ollie Barkley, had an important story to write. And the deadline was fast approaching. The pressure was on and he needed to concentrate. His girlfriend, Karen, <laughs> Karen. <laughs> understood the urgency, <laughs> but couldn't help talking or playing music at the most inopportune times. <laughs> She's one to talk. Desperate to finish the article, Ollie decided to take drastic measures and locked Karen in the basement. <laughs> But he was the one loudly playing music, not her. This gets worse. Oh, no. At first, she was angry, resenting being treated like a disobedient child. <laughs> That's not a good way to treat a child. No. I would just like to state this as fictional. <laughs> Still, there were many advantages to being stuck in a basement. <laughs> this is where she trains. It's like Rocky. <laughs> or like the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> Though the living conditions were far from luxurious, there was a comfortable bed, her laptop, some books from Ollie's bookcase, and plenty of snacks. What kind of books do you think are Ollie Barkley's bookcase? Mm. All motivational stuff, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. And maybe like Dan Brown. (laughs) Sure. Just as importantly, 
Ollie had provided Karen with her own mini office. I forgot she was Karen. Oh, that's nice of him. <laughs> a laptop, journal, and all the necessary tools for her to get I creative. I love how this AI thing is written with a male gaze. It's so, like... It's so abusive partner that doesn't know they're being abusive. Yeah. Like, I've known plenty of those. Men who don't recognise their own behaviour as emotional abuse. This because is like, no, fictional. I'm being alright. Like, I've, I've locked her in the basement, but I have given her a laptop and yeah. some books, so it's that's fine. So I can play some Groove Armada and Basement Jacks. Don't worry <laughs> exactly. about it. Exactly. A laptop, journal, and all the necessary tools for her to get creative. She decided to use her time away from the world to start writing her own freelance stories. Nice. In no time, she was banging out story after story. <laughs> it's a good turn of phrase from banging out, yeah. And by the time Ollie had completed his piece, she had been writing for days. For days? She's been in there days! <laughs> That's a long track he's listening to. She's written story after story in the time he's written one. Dead Mouse has gone full Brianino well, here. Yet another useless male struggling through while she does six times the work. Yeah. Whilst trapped in a basement. He's having a hell of a rave up there. She had a newfound appreciation for how hard her boyfriend worked. <laughs> and an incredible new portfolio of stories that she could sell and collect royalties from. <laughs> yes! It was 2007, it was a different era. Yeah. That really makes me quite angry at having a newfound appreciation for how hard her boyfriend yeah. worked. She, he locked you in a basement! Yeah. And then you did, her, you did his job better than him. Fairly mediocre fly off. This is written by a massive bell end. It is. But he, when Ollie finally unlocked the basement, Karen was excited to explore the Keep big wide world outside. Oh, yes. It's like room. But she still had a firm grip on her laptop and a pasted on smile as happily she handed Ollie the articles she had written in her time. As a prisoner of creativity. This is like horrible it Ben is Shapiro horrible shit. To read. That is a horrible story. It is. About a okay man. <laughs> if you're affected by any of the issues that come up <laughs> in this AI, then I'm sure there are links. I don't actually have them to hand that you can follow. But next time, Karen, avoid the mediocre ex England fly half who's going to lock you in a basement to go and listen to some. Oh, I see why Basement Jacks came to mind earlier. Uh, no, but you're right. Toby Flood will do that. <laughs> yes. Right. Is that the end of the episode? That's the end of the episode. Great. Good well, one. Thanks to everybody who's listened. Thanks to you. Thanks to me. And thanks most of all to Jack and Maria. I hope they're well and embracing their union. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.